Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of Blue. Learn more at BenefitOfBlueSC.com. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, couldn't really tell, but the ground was sloped. So the 60 comes in. He starts rolling. Says, all right, I guess the brakes didn't work or whatever. Comes to a, a rear wheel hover. I got Duco on my left side and getting ready to make that bend and that final push out because we're stepping off. Boom. He cranks power. Uh, we ended up falling out of a helo. Like um, falling out, falling out? Oh, yeah, like falling out 30 feet. Shit. Oh, yeah, dude. God damn, 30 yeah. feet? Yeah. That, that's going to be my recollection. So from going off a 10-meter, <laughs> from a 10-meter board, get my nod straight, check my magazine. There's no, you know, no magazine in there. All right, we got to get a fresh one. As soon as we go like this, his hand doesn't want to work. But I can't use it in a classic sense because I don't have this left arm. So I basically tuck it underneath these arms and kind of just use my arms coming underneath to feed him what I need. And I just basically get my rifle like this because this hand doesn't work. I'm going to get shot in the face because it's just like everything they can, you know, can go wrong could. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He has spent 29 years on active duty in the U.S. Army as a Special Forces guy. 13 combat deployments, which I'm going to just repeat that for those of you not paying attention yet. 13 fucking combat deployments. That's Desert Shield, Desert Storm, Iraq, and Afghanistan, which (laughs) with what's going on right now, uh, I can't think of a better guest to have on. He is the owner of Warhog Tactical, the co-host of On the Range podcast. He's also the love child of John Wayne and Chuck Norris, and his last name is actually in reference to the leg that he's packing. Ladies and gentlemen... Welcome to the stage, Rick Hogg. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. I appreciate you taking time uh, and, and coming here for the interview. I know we're all busy, uh, and you're certainly no exception. And to carve that time out to, uh, to come sit down with me is, uh, is very, very much appreciated. So thank you for coming. Yeah. Thank you for uh, reaching out, and uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, well, shit. Uh, it's about what, one-sixteenth of the amount of time you've put in, probably? It doesn't matter, man. All good. I appreciate it. I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, He's got a ton of products, actually. 
within the Jocko fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese, and uh, it's just an all-around American industry. Uh, they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all American-made, uh, all American-sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house, and they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now, and I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us. And so thank you to you guys. I'd also like to talk about uh, my brand of dog food that just came out. There's uh, food, treats, uh, a line of supplements. The supplements are hip and joint, digestive, skin and coat. Uh, the treats, there's salmon bites, beef bites, turkey bites, uh, salmon skins. And then the food, we've got a, uh, a chicken and sweet potato formula as well as a salmon and herring meal formula. All of these products I, I've come out with uh, in the last six months after years of of trying to find uh, kind of the right blend and, and be uncompromising in the product quality of what I want uh, and was uh, fortunate enough to work with a manufacturer that made everything exactly how I wanted it, uh, tested it out and got it dialed into exactly how I want it. And now we've brought it to market and, uh, and it's available to you guys. So MikeRitlandCo.com. It's the Fueled by Team Dog line of, of food treats and supplements. I encourage you to either check it out or choke yourself. Um, what is the best national chain breakfast joint, in your opinion? Waffle House. Is that right? Mm -hmm. what, uh, what do you get there? Uh, what's it? The, uh, it's either cheese and eggs or eggs and cheese. Simple scrambled egg, yeah. cheese on there. Yeah. All right. And you got to get your hash browns covered in chunks. And there's, and there's no shortage of them where you live. Nope. Yeah. It's kind of like Dunkin' Donuts up north. Yeah. One in every corner. Or uh, what is it, Tim Horton, Tom Horton? What's that up in fucking Canada, the coffee joint? Same thing. Um, is it like even better than, say, IHOP? Here's the thing is IHOP open at 3 in the morning. I mean, here it is. I don't know about all places, but yeah. Waffle House is tough. I mean, Waffle House is kind of a staple, right? It's almost doesn't matter where you go. You're going to get the same consistency across the board. That's true. Yeah, they do, they do have a... Uh, an almost Chick-fil-A-like consistency. Yep, 100%. Uh, ideal vacation spot. Other than Afghanistan this time. <laughs> um, somewhere you got some water, nice weather, but not so super crazy hot. I mean, you got to think Hawaii's got some pretty uh, pretty good weather in place. Yeah. Caribbean, you got to sit there sometimes. You got some uh, crazy weather rolls in. So, Is there a place that you've been that you would put in that category? Uh, I'd definitely put Hawaii in there. Yeah. Big Island or more uh, Oahu? I, I like Oahu. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. And, like most and more, more to the North Shore, not to cut you off, but more yeah. to the North Shore than really. Because, I mean, down at Waikiki, that's where all the tourists are going and everything yeah. else. So, I kind of like the touristy shit. I don't know why. Yeah. But, uh, most overrated firearm? Glock. Is that right? Mm -hmm. what, uh, why, why do you say that? Why do you feel that way? Because everyone thinks that's the staple. They're not willing to open up their eyes and look at anything else. Yeah. What would you put uh, brand-wise that you prefer over Glock? Is there several? or? I mean, there's a bunch of different firearms out there, so let's just look at it. What's the difference really between Glock 1 and uh, or Gen 5 and Gen 1? Yeah. A couple little nuances, right? But nothing really, they're not changing things. They're not full so, redesigns. No. So when you look at the firearms industry, uh, they kind of sit at a stagnant point. So you've got a couple companies that's out there doing some things. Uh, so, for example, like with Archon Firearms, they don't use a classic Browning tilt barrel design. 
So they've got like an AF speed lock system that in essence, the barrel stays in line. It looks like a polymer frame gun, but it's actually a steel frame gun. So now you got the barrel to frame lockup and you're reducing one point of potential malfunction with that rounding tilt barrel design. So there's no tilt to it. So I, I would just like to see the firearms industry um, yeah. do some different things. You know, Walter with their, their PDP. I mean, there are some people doing some things, but when you look at the Glock, it really hasn't gone yeah. anywhere, but everyone's, yeah. everyone says that's the standard. So I, I guess transversely, is there a most underrated firearm company out there in your opinion? I mean, probably the, a lot of people haven't heard of Archon. And I would just say, look at what Archon's doing. Where are they out of? So they're based out of Vegas. The guns are actually produced in Germany. Oh, okay. Yeah. Is it A-R-C or K? C. Archon. Yeah. Oh, and, he, and here's a shameless plug. So you go to um, warhog.com and you can find info on there there. So that's kind of the yeah. easiest way to direct people. Oh, nothing shameless at all. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what is your morning routine when you're in town? Uh, when I'm in town, as soon as uh, you know, alarm goes off, eyes open, and what time have, is that? Uh, so it just kind of depends on what I've got going on the day. Obviously, need to come out here. You know, that's a little earlier. So <clears throat> typically, I want to get my day. Um, you know, six six thirty is a good start time. But again, sometimes you've got events which drive you earlier. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, somewhere right around that time. For me, as soon as my eyes open, um, I say a prayer that, you know, thank God that I'm alive. Hey, thank you for giving me this day. So on the side of the earth, um, ask him for some wisdom, guidance, and strength. Get me through the day, and then we start. Yeah. Usually it's uh, brew up some coffee, and then unfortunately I got to go to the magic box because you got to see, all right, let's get social caught up, get that launched out so that's out of the way, see if we've got any emails we're behind, and then just start the day with whatever we got going on. Yeah. Are you a uh, workout first thing or eat anything first thing? So if I've got something to do, I'll intermediate, intermediate fast if it makes sense. So if I don't, I might be home, but I might be working, if you want to say, somewhere else. So yeah, I'll get some, some chow to get me going through the day. Um, if not, I'll probably fast around lunch. So I kind of skip breakfast, just yeah. have some coffee, make sure I get water in me to start because that's a key point i want to get kind of everything hydrated back up and then i'm a probably lunch to early afternoon workout person yeah i'm right there with you i, I have a real hard time working out first thing in the morning just from like a joint mobility yeah you like fe feeling like it's productive and not counterproductive mm -hmm. yeah, i'm right there with you uh good stuff eating wise generally speaking is there any like particular diet program that you follow or Rick's, Rick's diet program. <laughs> what does that consist of? <laughs> Whatever the fuck I want. Pretty much. I mean, I, I try to eat clean, um, but then you'll play with stuff. So if you look on my counter, you know, I've got a bucket of chia seeds and a, um, uh, what's the other one? Flax seeds, you know, sprinkle that on some stuff, you know. Does it help? Does it not? Meh. Yeah. You know, shake it out. But, yeah, yeah. Try, to, try to eat as clean as I can. Are you into, like, the low-carb, high-fat or anything like that? I don't, I care about getting protein intake. I'm not a big carbs person, so I don't, well, I eat bread, sure. I'm not going to say I don't, but yeah, if I have my druthers. Um, so, for example, at lunch, did I get the potato or I get the broccoli? I yeah. want the broccoli. Yeah, I got you. So, but it doesn't mean I won't eat potato, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. For me, I know a lot of it depends on how active I am. Like, if I'm working out really hard or, or just, you know, working dogs real heavy, mm -hmm. uh, 
I, I'll take in a, a fair bit of carbs, but if I'm not, then I'll throttle them back. But uh, where uh, where are you originally from? Originally from New Hampshire. And uh, did you were you born there, raised there, grew up there, the whole whole thing? Tell me uh, a little bit about that. Um. So really, is when you look at the uh, the northeast kind of where I grew up, great place to grow up. You know, probably about thirty minutes from the water, a couple hours from the mountains, all four seasons. So you get in that full. Um, spectrum of if you want to say airs to play with yeah. you got to think back then it wasn't one of these where we're stuck on a phone all the time you're actually going out going yeah. places um get up with your buddy say yep hey we're cutting school today and we'll zip across <laughs> the border over to vermont and go do some skiing over there whatever we're doing you know but it was yeah. doing stuff active yeah um you know nothing it, people would go hunt in the morning i mean you would see guns in trucks in the parking lot and mm, shockingly nobody got shot yeah so uh, one one thing, you have kids, right? I do. Uh, if you caught your kids skipping school to go skiing, how would you handle that? Because I, I know the way I am with mine versus how I grew up. Sometimes it's a little unfair. But, yeah, one hundred percent. They would. Yeah. Yeah, they'd get their ass beat. Yep. Yeah, it's hard to argue. Uh, did you have siblings? Uh, yeah, so I've got um, half brothers. Half brothers. Yep. How? What was the dynamic like in your house in terms of? Uh, you know, I know for me, like comparing it. Comparing, you know, what the dynamic in the household is now versus when I was growing up, whether it's politics, you know, culture, the, just the, the normal routine, what have you. I, I am always curious, like, how, how people grew up, how, how it was back then uh, for you guys that way. Uh, like, politically, sports-wise, what was important, going to church, family dinners, you know, stuff like that. See, kind of all that stuff was, right? And the thing is, I think what's lost is, even though I came from a divorce household, there was still that family nucleus, mm-hmm. you know, so how are you still spending time with both parents? How are you doing that stuff? But yet you're still going to church. You're still doing sports. Um, it, to me, I think a lot of it is by not having the, the access to information that people have today, especially having the phones right there, it forced you that, hey, you've got to go, I'm going to the library, I've got to research multiple different things. I've got to be responsible for time. So if I were to sit there and say, hey, Mike, we're meeting here at this time, if you're late, you're late. And oh, by the way, before you're 16 or know those 16-year-old people, you're pedaling your bike yeah. you know, to get to where you got to go. So I think people were, were fitter. Yeah. They had the responsibility because it's like, hey, you got to be home by before the sun goes down. Okay, cool. The sun's coming down or else I'm going to get a beaten when I get home. Yeah. You know? And well, and you, yeah, you didn't have the safety net of technology to, no. to bail you out. You no. Know? Um, yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I, I miss... Uh, to me, the '80s were a fucking magic, magical time in this country for if a, a lot of reasons. We could go back there, only yeah. if, right? Oh, I know it. Did you have any favorite uh, action TV shows or movies back when you were? Oh man, um, so Magnum PI is a top one. Uh, you gotta love the A Team uh, and Old Hannibal Lecter when a plan comes together. Um, did that play a role in inspiring you to join the join the army and do what you did? No, I, right. I, yeah. So. For me, it was, you got to look at my, my grandfather was a World War II vet. My dad's a Vietnam Marine Corps vet. So we'll, we'll play that in the context, <laughs> right? So grandfather's in the Army, uh, dad's in the Marine Corps. It, but really, I think, um, so somewhere in this process, whenever I saw probably John Wayne, the Green Berets, that was a yeah. big driving factor. Yeah. And then, you know, when was that time to, when you look at the 80s, so from the Special Forces side, you have to understand this special forces baby program, it's not a new concept. We had it back in the 80s because that was originally what I was going to do. So I knew special forces was what I wanted to do. 
The problem was, um, I think it was 87, Special Forces goes to a branch, so they're no longer doing the baby program. So when I enlisted, I wound up going, you know, 11 series, airborne contract, no bonus. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Uh, so. and going back to kind of the, the TV shows, the mm -hmm. inspiration, whatever, it, it's still one thing, uh, kind of a common thread that I find with uh, guys from our generation that end up serving in, in this capacity is, is that, is that there's a huge driving, motivating force slash factor that is derived from pop culture, you know, A-Team, Rambo, fucking, yep. you know, you name it, John Wayne, yep. um, that doesn't exist now. You no. know, like, like if you try to find current things that are being released, there, there's none of that. You know, and it's like, to me, that, that concerns me a little bit in, in that, you know, it's like the culture is shifting uh, over to something where they're, they're not putting any importance on, you know, frankly, what young men, at least a, a, a sliver or a fraction, a, a percentage of young men in this country, I mean, the reality is that this country needs a, a portion of the population to be driven to do that type of stuff to continue uh, our standard of life. But, but I think on that, Mike, just to elaborate a little more, back then, I don't ever remember a per se political agenda mm -hmm. behind the, you know, it was entertainment, right? Now, yeah. you go back to Magnum P.I., we're not going to fault them for being on the SEAL side. Yeah. We'll, we'll let that slide, right? But you saw some, you saw some sprinklings, and again, didn't realize it back then, but now, you know, kind of that whole PTS type deal, you know, so the scars of war, for lack of better terms. You saw that sprinkling in there that never really was addressed. Yeah. But it wasn't, there wasn't political messages or telling you how to think yeah. in there. It was just kind of telling a story. Yeah. It was entertainment. And, and I would say very similarly with, uh, with the news media back then, it was much more Walter Cronkite, like just here's what happened. Mm -hmm. Not why I think it happened, nope. not who's to blame for what happened, you know, like. The facts. Yeah, I mean, now it, it's so fucking skewed that way that, uh, I mean, it's it's impossible to make any sense of it. Um, I mean, it's it's fucking terrible. Um, what uh, what sports did you play growing up? Um, so wrestling was my staple, and wrestling was the sport, unbeknownst to me, that I believe gave me the biggest success. Um, you know, during my army career. So <clears throat> I did a little bit of soccer in there as well because that was my conditioning for wrestling season prior to. But when I went up. Uh, wrestle a little bit in junior high, you go to high school, show up day one, and I said, all right, here we go. We're going to start learning moves and, and getting it on. It's like, nope, we're just conditioning. Yeah. So coach does this for like two or three weeks, and you're watching guys drop off, and you're like, when are we going to get to practicing? And I didn't know as a freshman you're sitting there, he's running a mini selection program. Yeah. He's going, who's in it to win it? Yeah. So the sucker the that says, man, I just got – whipped yesterday and I'm going to show up today and, and go again. Yep. 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 So however many was his magic number, I guess we got to that point or time yeah. and it just seemed like each sequential year it was easier. Hmm. You know, so it was just, yep. You know, it's going to suck there for a while, embrace it. Cool. And, yeah. and just go about your business. That's so, fucking awesome. Yeah. I, uh, uh, two things, I guess. What weight did you wrestle and did you end up going to state any of the years that you were? Um, man, I, you're gonna make me struggle on these. Um, 147 sticks out for something in there, and 171 sticks out in there for another. Yeah. And so then, like with a lot of kids, started out lighter and 
Yeah. Ended up heavier. But, I, well, see, but see, here was the good thing with being bumped up, right? Because when I was actually, I remember this for a fact, when I was at 171, I had the freedom to eat. Yeah, yeah. Versus, you know, I'm the guy going, I'll eat whatever because we're good. <laughs> yeah. And here's, you know, your buddies running around trash bags on them trying to yeah. suck weight yeah. out of them. So. Chewing gum all fucking day, spitting yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah. That, that, that shit does concern me. I mean, at that age, especially doing that shit to your body, I think, is, uh, is detrimental. I know that they've... They've come a long way with these like formulas uh, mm-hmm. that you know take into account body fat percentage and hydration levels and height and weight and all this other shit that basically gives you a range of where you're supposed to wrestle. But uh, you know, it, it fuck that's it, so hard on kids. So I, I had a buddy of mine. He was um, what was it 103 or 109? What was the lightest? I think it's uh, at least here. It's actually I think it's 98. Okay. Maybe it was one, maybe it goes to 103. Whatever. He was the lightest weight class all four years. Oh, wow. All four years. Holy shit. Was he like fucking 4'11"? No, he was, you know, five and some change, but just... Yeah. Just real thin. Yeah. Wow. And that's fucking rough. That, um, that, that can't be good for you either. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> um, all right, so in high school, at what point did you kind of make the decision or, or decide that you were going to join the military and do what you did? Um, man, I knew, I knew early on. Uh, I'm going to say probably uh, 12, 13-ish. And you know, at that and, point, you wanted to do uh, Special Forces? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I knew I wanted to join the Army. At what point the Special Forces got injected, I don't quite remember. Yeah. But I know, talking to the recruiter around 16, because I couldn't actually do delayed entry till 17, I knew I was looking at Special Forces because that was an option. Yeah. Um, like I said, 17, sign up for delayed entry. The problem was... Uh, that option had gone away, so that whole SF baby program was no longer. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, get you infantry airborne. Sounds like a good gig. And yeah. don't worry, you can work out all the rest once yeah. you get there. <laughs> Just volunteer yeah. as soon as you show up, and they'll let you yep. leave. Um, during, like, so you're what, a, a sophomore, junior when you? when you? Uh, yeah, I was a junior. So that had to be junior uh, going into senior year. Okay. During that time, I know, I remember when, uh, like, I had a buddy that joined the Army. He was a year older than me, and, and uh, the recruiters did, like, these uh, kind of weekend uh, prep, you know, days out. They didn't do anything like that. Yeah. Did you do anything on your own other than wrestling and kind of working out to try to help prepare yourself for uh, No, because I thought I was doing, again, it's one of those you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And did I really grasp the concept of, if you want to say, walking with a rucksack? No. Yeah but you're physically fit. Yeah. And I remember, if you want to fast forward a little bit, you know, you go to basic and it's like, hey, you've got to do 13 push-ups or whatever it was to graduate. <laughs> it, yeah. it wasn't even basic, it was just like the in-processing center, yeah. you know? Yeah. They do 13 push-ups and you're like, really? Yeah. But but I remember basic being not physically challenging. Yeah. Well, fuck, try the Navy's basic. I mean, it was just, it was just more irritating yeah. than anything. But uh, where did you go to basic? Fort Benning. Fort Benning. Yeah. Um, can you walk us through the uh, kind of, you know, coming in and, and the first couple of years in, what uh, what that was like for you? Yeah, so do Fort Benning, Georgia, one station unit training. So that's pretty much where all the infantry are trained at. Uh, from there, go over to Airborne School. And then from there, wind up at uh, 82nd Airborne Division, 1st Battalion, 505th Parachute Infantry Regiment, Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Yeah. This is an important fact. <laughs> Fort Bragg, 88. We'll circle back to that later on. Yeah. Um, yeah, but no, 82nd was... You got to think at that time, um, great place to grow up. There were three special forces groups. So you had third or third, 
fifth and seventh were all there. So a lot of SF floating around. Um, I had my first squad leader probably gave me the best leadership advice. He's like, when you're looking at these leaders, he's like, look at the good, stick that in one pocket. Look at the bad, stick that in the other pocket. You always want to draw from the good, but remember the bad. And that was kind of one of those um, leadership staples, I guess, that stuck with me. Yeah. So you can look at whoever and go, yeah, that guy's a dirtbag, but don't be like him. Yeah. Um, so get there in 88. Uh, Panama goes. My battalion didn't. Or actually, my brigade didn't. We were kind of hot about that one. Um, we had done the train-up, so at no other point, at least in that time, we had done a full brigade size mass tack. Then from there, get on helicopters and fly to the mount site. So we didn't know what yeah. was going on. Um, they were getting ready to cut us away for leave. And for some reason, I was back a couple days. I wasn't taking my leave right away for whatever reason. I don't remember. Uh, but word comes that, hey, they're getting ready to go to, to Panama. Try to run down the street and go, I can get me on a bird, you know, come on. Yeah. But that was uh, interesting because then you had kind of officers coming out of the woodwork kicking AGs off of machine gun teams or whatever yeah. to try to get their mustard stained. So, yeah. um, you know, jump, from, you know, forward from there, go to Desert Desert Shield, Desert Storm. What was that like, uh, especially looking back on it now? I mean, I know while you're going through it, it probably had one kind of perception. And then now looking back, especially what's gone on the last 20 years, there's probably <laughs> another. But can you walk us through what, yeah. what your mind was like at that point? So, again, as a young man joined the military, you're eager for combat. That's what you're there to do. So you think about it. The year prior, you know, you missed Panama. So you got all your buddies with their CIBs and, you know, the mustard stains. You're like, man, I, I want to get in there. I want to see what this thing's about. Prove yourself. How, whatever it is for that, you know, specific individual. Um, specifically for, for Desert Shield, Desert Storm, I remember we were out in the field. It was like crappy conditions. You know, it was, um, it was August, you know. Rains came in. Had stuff everywhere. Um, but then somebody came up with a paper that said, hey, Iraq just invaded Kuwait. We weren't thinking anything of it. And then shortly thereafter, they're recalling everybody back to uh, get back to the barracks and start packing stuff up. It's like, all right, hey, here's the packing list. Make sure you got this. And then, you know, I think a day or two later, mysteriously, the old chocolate chip show up. Yeah. Here's your two, yeah. two sets of uniform. You know, it's like, all right, you know. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, it's. I remember um, Colonel Nix kind of got the part of the 05 and part of the 04. So 505, 504, just the uh, two of the infantry regiments there kind of gave us a big speech. Hey, the last time the 05 and 04 did something, I think was uh, World War II going into, uh, into Normandy or something like that. Of course, get everyone all fired up. And then you're trying to get on birds to fly over to uh, Saudi Arabia. I was on a, a C5. We had, I think, six um, Sheridan tanks. So the 82nd had the shorter Sheridan, shorter barrels, a little more. Uh, well, they were they were jumpable and and more maneuverable. Um, had those down below, and we were sitting up top. And next thing you know, you leave Fort Bragg and land in Saudi Arabia, and it's like, all right, here you are. And was there? Both with you and kind of the collective group mentality, was there any of, because especially back then, like our involvement in the Middle East was pretty much non-existent militarily other than, you know, having some bases in a few different 
strategic spots. Was there any like, why the fuck are we coming over here? Or was it just like, fuck yeah, let's do this. It was like a mixed bag because there was so much, there wasn't the information. So we knew Iraq had invaded Kuwait. What are we doing? Like, why what, do we care? Yeah. You know, so from, uh, was I 20 years old? Yeah. Was I really abreast of, you know, political goings, political goings on? Hey, what, why are we here? What's our objectives? What are we doing? All right. You know, was there mutterings within the group of that a little bit of like, why, why are we fucking coming here? Or, just didn't know. It was like the unknown. It's like here we, cause everything was the unknown. So we get over there. What are we really doing? I don't know. Uh, don't eat your MREs. <laughs> I love it. What are we doing? Fuck, I don't know. We're just going over here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that was kind of it. There, there was really no plan. Um, but I remember, like, you couldn't eat your MREs because that's your go-to-war meal. What are we doing? You know, so all these questions come up. Um, we weren't there that long. I remember we moved up. So we were at a place called Camp All-American, which had to get changed to Champion Maine because I guess the name All-American offended people, so we're offending people back in the 90s. And caring about it. Yeah, so we, we, we changed the name of where we're at. Um, we went up, I don't remember exactly where, I know we were by a desalinization plant, but this was gonna be, this was our line in the sand. Uh, pretty much said, hey, here's where we're gonna set up our defenses. This is the road, I guess, coming from uh, Kuwait into Saudi Arabia, and this is where we're gonna fight at. Yeah. So kind of came up with a, a rough battle plan there. Yeah. Do you remember uh, ballpark what your loadout was going in there? As far as what, like ammo? Yeah, I mean, just generally like what you were carrying. Like you weren't rocking body armor, right? <laughs> no, so we, we had, um, I think they gave us the flak vests. Yeah. Um, Which don't stop anything that no, the enemy's gonna shoot no, at you anyway. No. Just, just weighs you down that, a little that's more. That's it. I think we had <laughs> our, uh, what, 210 rounds, you know, 5.56. Um, M16A2 battle rifle. Fucking A. Iron sights. <laughs> uh, of course, you had your pro mask. Did you guys have CBR gear and shit uh, outside of? I, th I think they did, but I think it was one of those two, like, hey, wrap that stuff up so it doesn't get a pinhole or yeah. go bad or, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, I think we got that. I remember we got, I think, our auto injectors. Um, I can't remember if we got the PB pills there or got them once we were over there. Uh, we had our two sets of chocolate chips, no fancy boots, still went with your regular jungle boots, uh, your rucksack and your duffel bag. Yeah. So there's all your worldly possessions. Yeah. Have a good trip. Yeah. Uh, so then going in, what uh, walk us through like how, how that all transpired, what, uh, what actually happened? As far as just getting there or actually going into- Like going, going into Kuwait and- uh, and doing what you did. So I actually went into Iraq and then going to Kuwait. Oh, no shit. Yeah. So the 82nd, so when you're looking at combat operations, um, everything was kind of a chess game and a move. So uh, we ended up, I think, if I recollect, and this is where, you know, kind of for the, the viewers, listeners, two things. Biggest regret, not journaling and not taking enough pictures. Yeah. Because it would have been nice to go, oh, yeah, this is what we did, this is what we did. But we went from... Camp All-American, because that's what I'll call it. Uh, I think up to Riyadh, I think it was around January, if I remember right. And we went from Riyadh up to the border of uh, Saudi Arabia and Iraq. And that was kind of like the last staging point. We knew they said, hey, you know, it's now gone from Desert Shield to Desert Storm. Air war kicked off. 
Um, try to shoot some scuds over. I remember that. They got shot down. We thought it'd be funny to tell the new guys that the slit trenches were the <laughs> scud tents or scud bunkers oh, or whatever. Yeah. So Joe's, Joe's always done that. Uh, we still burnt our trash over there. So the yeah. burn pit, you know, I, yeah. I had some, some guys I was talking to a little while ago talking about the, I'm on the burn pit registry. It's like, you don't know the burn pit registry. So yeah. That started years back. I am curious, um, during, during the air campaign, could you see and hear that going on while you were at where you're at? <laughs> More when we got right up to the border, and yeah. So I remember um, specifically one night pulling fire guard or just watching uh, a fleet of, I think it was either three or five B-52s fly over. Oh, no shit. They fly for about 20 minutes. They drop their ordnance. I don't know how far 20 minutes gets them, but you can feel that overpressure. Wow. So during that time, I'm thinking of the classic, you know, arc like from Vietnam, and you're like, man, who's ever on that receiving end, yeah. they're getting smacked. Yeah. yeah. I remember, I mean, I was in junior high when, uh, when that was taking place, and uh, I'll never forget the imagery coming out of, you know, the, the ground scenes of, mm-hmm. of night, you know, granted it was pre-elementary or rudimentary uh night vision, but just seeing the fucking tracer fire and, the, and the, you know, the planes fucking bombing the shit out of, out of Iraq. I mean, it was just, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, you we, know, I can't even imagine being on the ground while that's happening. Yeah, so we didn't see a lot of that because we were on the far western end. So the, the 80 seconds roll was to make that uh, sweep to the, uh, to the west with the French. Yeah. So we didn't see, you know, any type of fire, any aircraft or anything like that. Yeah. We did, we were down in Riyadh, we did since, I can talk here. We did see scuds come in, but um, that was about that's about it from that end. Any close calls, scud wise? Uh, Nothing. Yeah. Nope. And like so watching a fireworks show on the sky, you know, because I think the Patriots were all shooting them down. Yeah. Um, so how long were you in that capacity? Was that just the waiting? Yeah, I mean, just being where you were at right there. About how long were you in that that spot? I want to say a couple weeks at like each jump. So we, we were at Camp All-American for the most time. Um, then as this thing starts to progress around that uh, January time frame, I'm thinking that's when we went probably December. We probably jumped to Riyadh, kind of hung out there, and then from Riyadh went right up to the border um, as this thing's getting ready to, I guess, go to that. I can't remember if, no. Yeah, Desert, Desert Storm had already kicked off because we were down in Riyadh when all that happened, I think. We got up to the border that was getting very close to um, actually the invasion, if you want to call it. Yeah. Um, at what point did they say, okay, that, that's it, we're done, fucking head back? I mean, how long were you there total? Ballpark. I, I want to say about a month or so. Yeah. Because the thing was, they brought us in via choppers kind of all assembled up there, again, really not knowing. We knew the Talil airfield was our objective, um, but you're shuttling all your forces in, kind of get everyone together, yeah. kind of go up there to Talil. Wasn't much going on there because the boys had been bombed a long time. It, their will to fight wasn't, you know, anything there. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah and wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. (laughs) 
Chumba Casino has over 100 casino style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. We were created by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, we secure the Talil Airfield, and then they want us to go around and basically destroy whatever equipment. Yeah. So here's this sector. Whatever it is, just try to make the best note of what it is, destroy it, and then, you know, kind of do that. So we, we were probably there maybe a month, yeah. I'm guessing. Did, did you have any interactions with Iraqi soldiers deserting in, in droves the way that you saw some? Not on, from the Talil Airfield side, no. Yeah. I don't, I think there was only one time we had the white flag throw up. I mean. Yeah. Any any significant engagements? No, nope. there was real, just little nothing. Yeah, little yeah. tit for tat. Yeah. Um, all right, so when once you leave and, and come back home from there, what uh, what was it like after that between then and, and the next time you deployed significantly? So I count, if you want to say my next significant deployment would be going back to uh, Iraq in 05. Yeah. But kind of the, the interim in between, because I don't really, this is just Rick's, you know, could you say... You know, when I get to SF and my J sets and stuff, I don't really consider those deployments. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sure. Um, but when I came back, so you got to understand, Desert Storm about shut the Army down, for lack of better terms, as far as things going on stateside. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> most people would go to a pre-ranger course prior to going to ranger school. I think the schoolhouse was still going, if I recollect correctly. So they asked, hey, once we came back from leave, does anyone want, want to go to ranger school? With no pre-ranger. I'm like, sign this guy up. So no suffering before the suffering. <laughs> I said, seems like a good plan. So yeah. Um, went to ranger school, got that knocked out. Um, what did you think of it uh, in terms of what you're expecting versus what it was? You know, I remember walking away from that thing twofold. One, man, that truly sucked. But man, that was also awesome at the same token. So it really, it takes a person and you look at so many different facets of yourself. Can you operate sleep deprived? Can you operate, you know, malnourished, dehydrated? Um, And then what type of leadership, you know, are you making under all those conditions? So yeah, it it was absolutely phenomenal. And then one part of it is um, we were the last Dugway class. Oh, really? Yeah. So it's funny that over time it goes away. I don't know if Desert Storm had anything to do with it, but it's like Desert Phase was still going. So Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good shit. Uh, all right, so you knocked that out, and then mm-hmm. uh, 
from there and, you know, kind of the, the subsequent, I mean, shit, it was almost, what, 15 years between. Yep. Uh, what, what all did you do during that period? Yeah, so then I go to SFAS, so Special Force Assessment and Selection. Uh, Actually, sorry to interrupt. The, yep. uh, when you went to Ranger School, were you still at, at uh, 82nd? Mm-hmm. So you, you get to go there, you come back, and then from there you, you are able to, to transfer over into uh, to SFAS, or were you still uh, attached to 82nd even? No, you still, you still stay at 82nd. So you're still attached to your unit. Mm-hmm. So in essence, you're just temporary duty yeah. to the schoolhouse. Even so, for Special Forces selection? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, if because you don't make it, you go back? You go back to whatever your unit is. If you do make it, then do you go... Uh, oh, you want to open up that can of worms? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. To, oh, to me, it's... You know, the Army is, is sure. sim- similarly confusing, you mm-hmm. know, because the Navy, it's better now than it was, but it's like, you're just like, who the fuck came up with this? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I'm curious how that went. Yeah, so back in the 90s, so I got done SFAS... I had a year wait, so I went back to the 82nd for a year before I could go to the Q course. That's when you get, if you want to say, your PCS move, or now you're going to report to the schoolhouse. So think about it, Mike. I'm at the 82nd for a year. They know I'm leaving. You're a ship jumper. Are you kind of like Captain Big Nuts, though? You got your Ranger tab. You've been through SFAS. Like, are you looked at like, this guy's the fucking real deal? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, because that's the big thing. People look up, you know, if you're in the 82nd, Ranger tab's a big deal. Um, and yeah, now you're going SF 100%. And then you yeah. got people going, Hey man, how'd you do that? What do you, yeah. Hey man, go talk to this guy. He'll hook you up. <laughs> yeah. So take this pill. Yeah. Yeah. It's magic. Yeah. Um, no, but the, the problem was, so I go back to the 82nd cause technically that's still my parent unit. So for a year, but they know I'm leaving to go to, to the Q course. So the order of merit list, I know exactly where I said it in the company because it's a big black mark. Yeah. So you get no favorable action. You're looked at as a ship jumper. Um, I was the only guy in my battalion. So in the 82nd, in order to go to jump master school, you had to do their pretest. And they'd give you this card. It was like good for 30 days. It, hey, you knew your nomenclature and you could read your rucksack. Like, hey, class is coming up. I got my card. I was the only guy in my battalion. They're like, nope, we're not sending you. I'm like, excuse me? Like, I'm not getting out of the army. I'm still in the army. See, to me, that seems weird that they would consider you a ship jumper in, in that circumstance. Yes. I get it if you're like, oh, I'm going to go do fucking comms. Mm-hmm. But, like, you're, you're taking it, you know, to the next level tenfold. Like, no. why? That's no. weird. No, because you're, you're leaving the 82nd. Nope. Yeah. That's just how they see it, no matter what. Hmm. Um, all right, so, so you, you get the shaft there for a mm-hmm. year, basically, and then you finally go. Uh, what was that like once you finally went? Uh, and, and where did you go? Yeah, so the Q course is done, or the qualification course for us. Again, Fort Bragg. Yeah. So I just go from Fort Bragg to Fort Bragg. <laughs> um, at the time, it was a, a six-month. So for an 18 Bravo who's a weapons sergeant, uh, the Charlie who's the engineer, um, and the communicator uh, who's the echo, six-month course. So four months doing your MOS. Um, then you had your SUT or small unit tactics, and then Robin Sage is kind of the final deal. Yeah. Um, they combined, so it was weird. It was dubbed phase one, two, three, but you did basically MOS phase first, and then you went out to phase 13 out of Camp McCall, which is still in North Carolina. It's about probably an hour from Maine post Fort Bragg. That was the old uh, World War II paratrooper training facility, but SF had taken over. Yeah. So you go out there to kind of do your final field type problem out there. Yeah. 
So you uh, successfully complete all that, and then which unit did you go to first? Se seventh group. Seventh group. Yeah. And that's in uh, Colorado? Fort Bragg. Fort Bragg. God damn, you can't get away from that place, <laughs> and you're still there. Uh, it's the 10th groups in Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, so checking in there, I guess, uh, you know, at this point, you'd been in the military for a fair bit. Mm -hmm. um, what was kind of, again, your expectation of showing up versus the reality of, of doing so? Was there any disparity, or was it pretty what you expected? Just a little, and the disparity was this. So I was so used to kind of seeing where group was at. So they had these nice new buildings, everything like that. What had happened was I went to 3rd Battalion, 7th Group, which was originally the entire battalion was down at Panama, but they had come back. So they didn't have any space at the current yeah. group area, so they yeah. stuck them in the old uh, World War II buildings yeah. out by Pike Field, which turned out to be awesome. Huge team rooms. So basically we had three teams in the old uh, World War II buildings. Basically had the upstairs had two teams that basically cut it in half. And then there was a team downstairs. We had um, cages and all our stuff for all our gear, but there was... Were they old and beat-to-shit buildings, or were they fairly well-maintained? So they were old and beat-to-shit buildings. <laughs> yeah. However, you got some Green Beret you know, yeah. engineers there that's going to sit there and make things tidy and... Yeah. Yeah. Church yeah. it up a little bit. Oh, yeah. 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 That's awesome. Uh, so what year was that that you checked in there? Um, 90... 94. 94. Yeah. So from 94 to 2001, uh, any Kosovo involvement or, or anything mm -hmm. significant in that no, block so, of time? Um, we were primarily going down to Central and South America. So we're doing our J-sets, um, working with different host nation there. So that was kind of our ins and outs as far as our deployments there. Yeah. Were you doing any like legit counter narc shit down there? <sighs> Hands got tied. Yeah. So mid, mid 90s. There was kind of a kibosh of really doing things down there. It was just one of those deals that, hey, you can go train them, but, you know, don't be out there looking for trouble, for lack of better terms. You have to yeah. be careful how you navigate and stuff yeah. like that. No Brazilian hookers or anything. Not not to my not. I, I did go to Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those guys are actually pretty cool to work with. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Was there any one spot down there in particular that stands out as being the most circus-like or total shit show over the rest? Um, probably Costa Rica. Really? Yeah, because here's the thing. They don't have a military. They only have a police force. Yeah. And <laughs> when we showed up down there, <clears throat> again, you're dealing with cops from all over. And again, you're dealing with the third world country. So I can remember we're administering a PT test to these guys, and my man's shoe his tennis shoe just falls apart. He's on Huckabuck. You know, so it's just... Uh, but we did, like, in that case, you know, we'd brought him down some old um, chocolate chip pants and yeah. put the little uh, engineer tape on the side. Yeah. I can remember their names, but you remember a roster number. And they thought that would... They're giving us clothes, man. We got this pair of pants. Like, yeah. yeah. Of all the places you went, uh, does one country stand out as having the best women? Best women, probably Brazil because we were right the there. We were right there at Rio, and you got Copacabana and Ipanema. Yeah, yeah. I've I've not been anywhere in South America, but I've seen enough shit on TV. Um, all right, so from there, hands are tied. Not really doing a whole lot. But did you feel like you were getting good experience though? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. Training wise, yeah, yeah. Because you got to think for us, 
we weren't using interpreters. It was all, you had to learn the language. Yeah. Are you fluent in Spanish? I'm not. Yeah. I mean, were you closer back then? I was a lot better back then, yeah. but I haven't used it. Yeah. And it just kind of, can I use it when I need to? Sure. Like to you could figure out where the bathroom is and ask oh, for easy. direction. Yeah, yeah. Like I mean, yeah. yeah, we can we can get in that, but yeah. I'm not probably not going to watch the news and get in deep political conversations and yeah. understand that. Was there, uh, during your pipeline in uh, SF training, uh, was language a part of, of your pipeline? I don't like the word pipeline yeah. because to me it wasn't, number one, that wasn't a word we used, but it was part of our training, but after we were qualified. Okay. So I don't know how they're doing it now. They've got, they, they, it's like they start stacking more and more and more. Yeah. So once you got qualified, yep, you know what you were going to. Yeah. And was it Spanish during no, It was that? actually Portuguese because really? I had, yeah, because again, you want to set yourself up for success. Yeah. Took the DLPT, got my Spanish rating. I said, well, you already speak Spanish, but you're going to seventh group. Set yourself up for success because that's yeah. where I wanted to go. They said, well, we got this Portuguese course going. Yeah. Go learn Portuguese. Yeah. Which, that's how I ended up getting to Brazil yeah. because there was a Portuguese team per battalion. Yeah. So. The difference between Spanish and Portuguese uh, from a white guy's perspective, is it huge? A lot of similarities? It's all, it's dialect, right? So I think the easiest thing is, let's just use Hoist Gracie, for example. So Hoist is Brazilian. His name's Portuguese. When you look at it, everyone wants to say Royce. So it's just pronouncing... Um, the R's to an H. Yeah. So in Spanish, you've got your ropas, which is your clothes, or in Portuguese, ropas. Yeah. So it could, if you don't have the ear, you should be, you know, you might miss something, but if you do, you should be able to catch it. So it's not significant enough where like words mean totally different shit like Dutch and German. It's. Well, you got some idiomatic that you throw in there, then that's totally going to. Yeah. You know, throw you off, but it, it's fairly close. Close enough to where, like, if you speak Spanish, you can understand Portuguese and, and vice versa, you think? So I wasn't the best at my Portuguese, but they could understand my Spanish better than, you, you <laughs> yeah. know? So, yeah. yeah. But, but to me, it was all about getting the ear. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Uh, all right, so once that's at that point, like, or what year was it where basically that wrapped up with 7th Group deploying to... Central South America. Um, was it 9-11 that made that shift, or was no. it before then? No, it was before, because what wound up happening, um, late in the 90s, so we used to offer a course called um, Special Operations, Special Operations Training Course, and it was basically a four-week marksmanship CQB course. Um, but then we were also running Sephardic, and that was the eight-week. Can you say what that stands for? Sephardic. The Special Forces Advanced Reconnaissance Target um, Target Analysis and Exploitation Course. Okay, because I'll level you. I don't know what the fuck Sephardic yeah. means. I've heard it a million times. But. It's about blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, All right, so you go through that, and uh, and that was the shift? Well, no, so there's a little... I'd gone through that before, but the shift was um, the schoolhouse could not keep up with the demand of the four-week course okay. because they wanted to produce the, the eight-week, which sent guys to the sinks and extremist force or the regional CT element that each group had. Um, they, make the, um, they make the determination that, hey, you guys are trainers. Start training it in-house. So that's when the CIFAWIC or the Special Forces Advanced Urban Combat Committees started popping up on each group. Um, 
I got selected to be kind of the initial start of that for seventh group. And that really was probably one of the best, uh, best things because we were able to train our own guys in advanced urban combat. You know, so we had, you know, obviously the marksman stuff, CQB, breaching, all the classic stuff that you would do. Uh, we took what SWIC kind of gave us as a rough model, expanded on it to make it better. We threw combatives in there because that wasn't part of it. Um, we did some urban movement stuff. Just try to make the program the best we could. I personally believe it was that program because I believe we were done the entire group prior to 9-11. You got to think it was fifth group that went in to Afghanistan first. Seventh group was second. And I think it was because once we got done the three-week course, we went to a four-week course teaching company operations. So it would only make sense that, hey, I've got an SF company that can function as an entity, send them. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, I, I guess so from, from that then, uh, do you feel that that set special forces as, a, as an entire entity up better for being able to respond to 9-11 or the opposite? Oh, 100% it set them up better. Yeah. Yeah, because you got to think there's, <clears throat> it solidified our tactics. So if you think about it, prior to 9-11, we were teaching theory. We think this is what works. Yeah. Were you but, guys still using Vietnam tactics in some ways? I know we were. As far as what? I mean, fucking booby traps, uh, patrolling. I mean, there, there was a lot of... Uh, yeah. Um, not, not entirely, but there were plenty of bits and pieces. Because we had some guys that were Vietnam vets that were still on active duty sure. running some of the training uh, courses. And, and, I mean, we did... Uh, so when you're looking at the jungle stuff, because obviously Central and South America, you get a lot of jungle. You are doing some stuff, you know, Vietnam-esque there, right? Um, but when it came to the CQB portion... We were pretty much in line to what we were doing, you know, this day and age, yeah. with the exception of technology. The yeah. technology wasn't there um, like it is today. Yeah. And, you know, the other part is, you know, that, that crew from 7th Group that came back from Afghanistan, that's what set, you know, Warhawk Tactical in motion. Because when they came back and said, hey, man, that stuff you taught me saved my life, boom. Sure. I'm like, yeah. I said, so a lot of people go, you started this tactical company because that's all you know. It's what I love to do, and it's what I knew back in 2002 that, yeah, we're going to go do that. Yeah. Uh, so where were you in, uh, when 9-11 hit? I was on Fort Bragg. Yeah. What was and, that like for you? You know, initially it was like, who just how do you fly into a building, right? New York City. What everyone's thinking at first was this fluke. And then obviously the second one, that's when... You're like, all right, something's going on. Um, so, again, you got to think back then, I mean, a lot of people didn't have access to their guns and ammo, probably more like they do today, right? Everything's locked up. you got to go to the ASP. But where we had the survival program, we're running courses. You know, we've got our own field ASP, arms room, all that stuff. So access to that stuff was easier. So as Bragg starts locking down, we're kind of locking down armed the, the seventh group, kind of third group USASOC area and trying to work out, all right, what are we doing? Yeah. And just try to, you know, maintain some type of security because it's like, where's it coming next? Yeah. Um, in terms of what was going through your mind and, and in 
discussions you had with uh, with teammates at that point. Um, I, I know. I mean, I was at SEAL Team Three, and it was like, "Fuck, it's go time!" Like mm-hmm. you know, we were all. It was, it was a pretty sobering couple of days. Uh, was it similar that way with you oh, guys? Yeah. 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 A, a lot of it was just trying to put the pieces together, right? Yeah. So it's initially it was how do you grab security because it's like we're Fort Bragg, we're gonna get hit. Yeah. It, it, you know, so how do you maintain that? Um, and then just trying to, you know, assist the best you could trying to get checkpoints set up, which of course now you start getting traffic jams of people trying to come in, but it's like, yeah, then the, the next part is when are we going? Yeah. When are we going to get some payback for this? Yeah. But then for us, you know, here's the problem. When you look at special forces side, you're like, really? So fifth group's going to get all the action, or at least that's what you're thinking because we're, um, you know, area orientated. So it's like, man, the fight's in their house. Not really understanding how big this thing would get. Yeah, it'd be two decades of sustained combat, which really has, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan has completely revolutionized all of special operations Mm -hmm. military-wide. And and, and it's so kind of one-dimensional that way, Mm -hmm. you know, in that if we had to do a a, a jungle campaign or a, an Arctic campaign or, you know, something like that, like we would be way, way fucking behind the power curve. Yeah. Um, did you, so is that what ended up happening then is you guys kind of sat there and watched fifth group go? I know they mm-hmm. went in first, but yeah. So you, when was the first time that, uh, that you left after that or what were you doing in the meantime? Um, so from there we have, again, the schoolhouse. So I'm in seventh group. You have the special warfare center and training or, uh, Special Warfare Training Center, I come down on orders to go there. It's like, really? Of all time you people pick, <laughs> you want to send me to the schoolhouse now? Yeah, and they did. Hmm. Um, so was it 2000, 2002? You know, I'm like, this isn't happening. Yep. You can't be hiding behind the rucksack is what they tell you. <laughs> so, yeah, I wind up um, doing two years there, so from... 2002 to 2004, working out at Camp McCall, yeah. out at uh, SFAS. And I'm like, really? I'm yeah. doing this? And, and how, how old are you and what was your rank at that point? Um, E7, let's get my, probably, what am I, 32, 34? Yeah. Um, all right, so you finished those two years biting mm-hmm. your f- fingernails, being pissed off, yep. and then from there you go back to... Go back operational 2004. To 7th group? Or, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was it like? Um, I go back to USASOC, but yes. Yeah. Um, so w- once you joined back up with that unit, um, where, where was your first deployment to? To Iraq. To Iraq? Yeah. Um, what was that like, Jumping in there because I'm assuming that, uh, or, or let oh. me take a step back. Was that the first time that that unit had gone to Iraq? No. no. So you're jumping in with guys that had already yep. been. Is there a little bit of like what the fuck, like feeling, uh, you know, especially being a early 30s E7 jumping in with guys that probably 23, 24 year olds with combat experience? Mm-hmm. There's no, no problem with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, because I mean, it, it's how you train, right? So you're, you think about you're kind of doing theory stuff before. It's come together, and now you're embracing, all right, hey, what's this new technology we have? Because you got to think, night vision kind of made some leaps and bounds during that process. Now you're using that, and now you just pick up and go, all right, yeah. here we go. Here's kind of the TTPs that we've found out from actual, you know, under fire, yeah. using this type of technology, and yeah. off you go. Uh, so on that first deployment to Iraq, um, 
significant uh, action or oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah what uh, anything stand out operationally that uh, that really kind of uh, set the bar as far as uh, in terms of like the big mish like this is what I fucking signed up for this is what we trained for like like almost think think of it from uh, like a movie standpoint of like you know where where everything kind of comes together and, and it's how it's depicted and what you thought it would or should be. So 05 winds up being um, kind of a crappy year. Lose a lot of guys. So we start the year um, there. Was there things that stick out? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff, right? Um, but really at the end of 05, uh, December 24th, we lose Joe Andres. And that was kind of, so whatever happened, that was like, at least for me, the big gut punch to go, and then you kind of go, all right. Um, because we'd gone there, gone there, what, to about April, slight break, went back. Um, I think, we, you know, they cut us loose for a couple of weeks, get some R&R, &R, and then we're right back, and then Joe gets killed at the end of the year. Right. So what kind of all transpired, it all kind of. Is, is there a uh, a typical mission set that you guys were uh, conducting during that that deployment? So you're just looking at whatever your um, whatever your targets are. You know, um, obviously HVTs are they foreign fighter facilitators? Are they media guys? Are they um, you know financiers? Where do they fit in the in the network? Was uh, so most of what you're doing was direct assault type oh, yeah. or direct yep. action type stuff. Yep. Uh, any direction. reconnaissance or anything just all I, I didn't know. door kicking yep. whipping ass yep. uh, could you put a number on how many uh, operations you went on in that deployment I couldn't you say hundreds oh yeah because yeah. because that's one of those Mike it's it's a hard your number and my number might be different right mm -hmm. so when you go operations is it we went out the gate did I hit five targets did I hit one target did I do a block party? It, it, you know, is there follow-ons? Everyone's got kind of different. Because sure. yeah. some people go, hey, went out the gate, that's a one. Yeah. But somebody goes, hey, I entered five structures, that's five. Yeah. So I guess from a, we went out and, and actually did something where, you know, we, we got in, we accomplished our objective and it was of a combative nature. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it sounds yeah. like you were going out most nights. Every, pretty much every night, yeah. yeah. Th there were times that I remember, man, I just want to wash these nasty uniforms that are standing up on itself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's no shit. Um, at that point, were you guys working with um, in any Iraqis other than interpreters? Uh, even all, in the inter all unilateral. Yeah. Any, um, any significant uh, other than the one that you spoke of, Joe, uh, did you take any heavies in your, your group uh, in particular other than that? I mean, guys are getting busted up all the time. But he, he was the one, he's like my Achilles heel. Yeah. Um, we lost, I remember, kind of started off 05, uh, losing Mickey up in Missoula. So it's like you kicked off the year with a gut punch, you end the year with a gut punch. On both of those operations, do you look back, uh, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but were, were there any things, any particulars of those operations that stand out as we fucked up and this is why it happened, or it was just... Uh, unforeseen, how, how un, unforeseen. Yeah. yeah. Would you um, mind uh, detailing how how both of those went down? Mickey was just his was a straight accident. 
Really? So he got yeah he got um, he got hit by uh, striker impacted the vehicle they were driving in. So up in Missoula during that early part had their curfew. So Joe's were just hauling the mail, and yeah, it was just one of those fluke deals. They were coming so back a, from a target. Blue on blue, basically. In essence, yeah. Wow, fuck. Um, and then no, sh- no shots fired, just yeah. however much freaking striker weighs. Yeah. You know, smashing into a truck, yeah. Um, throughout that entire deployment, would you did you get the, the feeling at the end of it that you guys did a lot of good work, made a big difference, oh, yeah. and had a yeah. lot of success? One hundred percent, because the elections went off. Yeah, because you got to think the big driving factor. If you look at that time frame, how many VBIDs were going off? Yeah, because we targeted those dudes. Yeah, so it's like that that dropped that allowed, at least in that piece, the you know elections yeah. to go off. And, yeah, were you hit at all in that deployment? Mm-hmm. I walked away. I walked away from want to say unscathed per se, but we'll address that later on. Yeah. Um, the operation where you guys lost Joe. Can you walk us through that one? It was just one of those that there were some um, unforeseen um, obstacles in the way. It was like a chain link fence that had some stuff weaved that we never saw. So when the birds were going in. Thought you had easy access, but it wasn't. Now you're trying to clip and snip, and other teams got there quick, and just so happened, you know, he rolled in there and, and got stitched up. So small arms, enemy small yeah, arms. Yeah, enemy small arms, yeah. Uh, do you remember the specifics of uh, the operation of what you guys were trying to accomplish on, on that particular one? I don't remember who the target was. Um, was there anything that stood out, uh, whether it was that deployment or, or really any of your deployments, that, um, like from a, a rules of engagement, how you guys were conducting yourself, just where, where it seemed like, um, you know, like you were you were either hands tied or doing the wrong thing, or, or it just wasn't going the way that it was supposed to, or did it feel like, you know, generally speaking, you guys were doing good work and everything was was uh, panning out? Yeah, I think we were doing good work. Had good intel guys, Venus good intel, and just kind of, you know, working what was the problem set they were trying to work, what network was, you know, who we were trying to go after, yeah. how was all this stuff coming together, and, yeah. I mean, I think the proof's in the pudding 05. You know, I don't know what the stats are. Yeah. I don't, I'm sure some VBIs went off, but yeah. that was one of the major concerns. Are the elections going to be able to go off without this city erupting all over? Yeah. And I think with that happening, I'd, I'd call that success. Uh, I am curious for, if, if you can share. I mean, I want to be uh, sensitive to uh, tactics, um, mm-hmm. but when, when Joe was hit, did you guys continue the mission and, and do it successfully? How, how, like, how was that handled, I guess, from uh, business as usual? Can you, can you walk us through that? I mean, he winds up going hit, or he winds up getting hit. You know, he's got to um, finish the fight because you still got – Active combatants, you got to deal with. It wasn't a very big structure. Um, Do you remember how many there were? Ballpark. I think it, low numbers, right? So I think it was only it's only three or four, if I recollect correctly. Don't quote me on it, but I think I think that's what it was. Um, you know, all those guys get engaged; they're all dead, and obviously you got to get him out, get him evac'd out. And I don't believe it was until we got back. We knew he was in bad shape. Didn't know how bad. Yeah. And obviously, you get back and, you know, bomb gets dropped on you. Yeah. Uh, and that was, that was at the very end of uh, that deployment? Yeah. Yeah. 
Christmas Eve. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, all right, so you come home. Uh, what was the turnaround time like uh, between that and the, and the follow-on? Mm, probably six months. Wow. It's like a three and six type rotation. Yeah. So it's fairly quick. So you're spending three months there. Three months, months in country, home. about six months home. Yeah. Um, during that six months home, I mean, uh, how significant or, or intensive was, was the training getting ready to go back over there? Was it balls to the wall or was it uh, measured? You got to have a balance, right? I mean, you're still training hard. Um, there might be times, but you're training smart as, uh, smart as well. So, hey, maybe we're going to sit there and run night stuff. All right, let's do it Thursday night. Keep you guys kind of late, cool, clean up, pack your stuff, taking Friday off. Yeah. You, know, you know, so it's that that balancing act of you're still training hard, still giving guys time, but yeah, you're you're constantly after it, constantly going. Yeah. Was all of the training pretty much that same type of training, or were you doing anything outside of that? I mean, as far as like CQB and stuff, yeah, yeah primarily CQB stuff. But you're still you're still trying to um, increase your skill set whatever that may be. So you got certain guys that need to work on certain things, whether it's, um, you know, mobility stuff, you know, of course you got your snipes. They're always going to be doing, you know, who's got the latest and greatest and, and try to get best information. So like, you're always trying to get your craft better. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was the size of your group at, uh, at that point? Mm. As far as like the assault force going out? Yeah. Um, 20-ish type guys? Yeah. Um, all right, so six months goes by, you go back, back to Iraq. Mm -hmm. yeah. What was that next? So that was in 06, right? Mm -hmm. Were you anywhere near the uh, the triangle at that point? That mm -mm. No, because we, we went, um, no, because we made, we pushed out west in 05. Um, and I think we rolled back to Baghdad pretty much, majority of my times in Baghdad. Before Sarah discovered ChumbaCasino.com, she enjoyed chamomile tea. Come on, big jackpot. And being in PJs by six. Let's go. The new fun Sarah often thinks about the old boring Sarah. Yes. And wonders if that Sarah ever really existed. Chumba Casino has over 100 casino-style games. So join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. Yeah. Yeah. Doing all the years. Doing all the same shit. Yep. How many deployments did you make to Iraq? Um... Put me on the spot here. Do higher math. What what large, years? Large majority. 
Yeah, most of them were. Yeah. yeah. So from 05 to when was the last time you went there? Uh, so the last time I went there was 16, but we'll cut those out of the equation. Yeah. Um, I probably got, oh, why you make me do higher math? Seven, eight-ish, nine-ish, yeah. something. We're, and they were all three months long. Three and six. Yeah. Yeah. Pr pretty standard in terms of what you did and how yeah. they went. Yeah, with the exception of 05. 05 was the oddball year. So pretty much I was there the entire the entire year. That, uh, okay. Yeah. So that, that rotation nonstop, basically. Well, there was a break. Yeah. So I basically do, I think, like the April. Then we go back in June. A slight, if you want to say two weeks. Hey, there's your R and R break, and yeah. then right back over for the. Did you go all the way home for that? Yeah. Yeah. What was that yeah, like? Where else are you gonna go? I mean, fuck, I don't <laughs> know. Uh, you know, I'm sure those guys. I can tell you right now, team guys be going to fucking Thailand and Hawaii. I mean, yeah, it wasn't like you're cutting every one of that. You know, to the four winds. Yeah. It's like, all right, hey, get your back. Yeah. You know. Refresh, refresh, some refresh and come back. Yeah. Refresh your batteries. Yeah. Go have your conjugal visit. And yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Was there a uh, an element, I know for me, like when I came back from Iraq, it was, that, that first few days was a fucking adjustment, you know, and, and to me, especially throwing two weeks in the middle of a combat deployment, was that, there were some, some tough uh, elements to that of coming home for a, a, a short burst like that and, and not being paranoid or having a hard time, so like, was there any of that? Mm -hmm. totally because it, at least for us, the schedule we were running, it was almost like your clock never got knocked out of whack. Mm. So if you think about it, if it's daytime here, it's nighttime over there, you're working at night, Yeah, your, your circadian rhythm just kind of seemed to roll with. Yeah. But in terms of getting along with your wife or not being in, a, in an environment where you feel kind of paranoid or whatever, there's no problem with that? I mean, you're always going to have conflicts with your, you know, with your wife, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just, no, we I, fight no matter what. Yeah, you know, yeah. because I, I tell people, it's like, if you think about it, combat's easy. It's pretty clear cut. You got to come home. You got to deal with this. I got this problem to deal with, or yeah. the kids are doing this, or yeah. it, it's a it's a lot more work. It's harder. Yeah. How uh, how was it with the kids coming coming and going that way, going from combat environment to being dad? I, I uh, I'm curious. I guess did you find yourself being uh, overly hard on them, or was it the opposite? I mean, I think I was a pretty pretty middle ground. You know, I didn't want them to run amok, but at the same token, you didn't want to be super hard on where they're, you know, upset with you, I guess. Um, I can't remember what year it was, but one of the years, so like the kids were, were fairly young when all this is going on. So they don't really understand the consequence of combat. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you go, uh, my son comes home, one of, um, one of the students there, their dad died. So now it becomes, are you going to make it? Are you going to die, Daddy? And you're like, yeah. so. What, uh, what did you say to him? Fuck no, I'm not. <laughs> it, yeah, I mean, you kind of you do the, we're good. Yeah. You know, running with the best guys, got the best stuff. Yeah. Dad will be fine. You know, yeah. Dad will be fine. Yeah. So you're in essence, you're lying to him. <laughs> I mean, that's what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you live, when you're in there, when you're deploying that often, you live the life of lies. Yeah. Lie to my wife. What are you doing? Uh, nothing. Yeah, I got an office job. Yeah. <laughs> and then she hears, hey, did you hear what he did the other night? Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, because you're trying to protect them. Yeah. Right? So am I giving you the full truths? Nope. Yeah. You know, is that kind of one of my 
Um, one of my regrets with all that, yeah. I, what, I, so but what's the alternative? Like, I guess looking back, how, how would you have done it different? I don't know if there is an alternative, yeah. to be honest with you. I, I mean, I don't, if you tell them the truth and, and they're, they're constantly worried, worried yeah. um, you sit there and lie to them, but you're lying to them, but they kind of know what's up. She knows I'm not, you know, doing whatever, you know, mundane job that I say I am. Yeah. She knows what's up. Yeah. But you're trying to, like, we'll be good. Yeah. Um, all right, so you do a, a shit ton of deployments there. Were there any operations with any of those deployments, whether it was high, higher ups on the deck of cards or, you know, big, uh, big news stories that, you know, people would have heard about back home that you guys were a part of? <laughs> I don't know if there were or weren't. Um, I guess anything uh, that stand out that for you was like, holy shit, it was kind of like pinnacle operations. I mean, you're just out there, you're swacking bad dudes, right? So in, in Rick's mind, you've got the guys that you're targeting because if the fight's there, the fight's not going home. Um, you know, out of, you know, big pivotal things, right? It wasn't so much what dude you're going after. To me, it was kind of things you saw on the battlefield, things that shape you as a person, right? And really, this is where, I know we haven't even gotten into the dog stuff, but it's important because that initial look, that's when I saw the dogs in action. Mm -hmm. That's when you see that you got this little four-legged beast here. He's beaten million, you know, million-dollar technology. He's telling you, hey, you guys need to go left. Technology's saying, go right. Come to find out he's right, they're wrong. Yeah. So it, it starts putting things in a, in a perspective where you're like, gotcha, yeah. you know? Um, what were some other things that, uh, that shaped you that you saw in combat? Um, you know, dog was a big one. Just the way that, the way you watch the, uh, the way you watch people work, you know, different leadership styles, way, you know, people handle different problem sets. And it's just, you watch this machine run, and you're like, yep. You just kind of see how people do business. You're like, yep, I like that, like that, like that. Just learn it from there. Yeah. Um, any um, kind of exchanges or interactions with uh, local Iraqis that, uh, that stand out as being significant that you remember that, uh, that shaped you or, or changed you? Mm -mm. Uh -huh. Like I said, we really didn't work with those guys. I mean, like families, like if you're going taking over a house to do Overwatch or something oh. like that. Yeah, I had some uh, some family try to offer me sherbet one night. <laughs> Did you take it? Nope. Yeah, it's probably Too bad. fucking poisonous. It, it, yeah. You know what? It, they seemed, you know, as sincere because, again, it's a crazy dynamic situation over there, right? Um, you know, so you got these guys offering you sherbet on one hand, being sincere. You know, they got some probably 10-year-old kid playing Nintendo. Uh, it's like, yeah, great. We're just cutting through your house because I need to get up here and kind of see what's going on. Um, but then vice versa, you go into a Christian house. Christians are in there. Hmm. They open schwacked. Because that's the part that people don't realize, right? I think it was one, was it 1.4 million Christians used to live in Iraq. Um, but yeah, you'd hit a house. There's a picture of the Last Supper, a picture of Jesus or whatever. Okay. We target this place. Simple. Let me ask you a question. Who's that guy? Mm. Yeah, right. 
where are they at? So um, you kind of see the both spectrums of it. But yeah, that's kind of the, you know, when you're looking at hitting house, if you want to say that's the far spectrums, you got one, one grateful family pump, you know, wanting to give you sherbet for, you know, the freedoms they're enjoying. And then you got one that got schwacked for the religion they're, uh, they're worshiping. Yeah. Looking back on it now, do you have a, a feeling or a perspective on uh, going to Iraq, why we went, was it worth it, should we have done it, all of those types of things? Going with the information I know, same thing with you know President Bush when he made the decision, he went off of what he, his intel he was getting. I say, yeah, 100%. You know, I believe it was. Because, again, we were still fighting al-Qaeda. The fight was there. They weren't, I, I believe they were too busy focused there. You had all your foreign fighters trying to go get their jihad on there. Mm-hmm. Was there any attacks on the U.S., you know, post that? Yeah. Did that have an effect? I tell myself, yeah. yeah. Because I tell myself, I'd rather bring the fight to you than you bring the fight to me. And that was kind of one of the things, the justification in my mind, why am I leaving my family? Why am I, why is my wife raising my kids? Yeah. Did, uh, I guess, did the thought or did the fact that the the vacuum and the chaos that has ensued since muddy that feeling at all? Or, or you still feel that way? Because for me, the, the fact that, you know, while I would agree in that, a lot of bad shit going on over there. What I struggle with, or, or question maybe is a better word, is Saddam, is, as much of a motherfucker as that guy was, he still had that country under fucking control way better than it is now. You know, what he didn't have is Iran meddling in the country and, and slaughtering fucking Americans with EFPs and, and things of that nature. And so to me, that, that's where I have a hard time saying... Is it was it really better, um, you know, and especially given what it is now and, and what Iran has been able to do mm-hmm. subsequently is to me makes it harder to justify that. It's a double edged sword, right? So you got to have faith that the politicians, because that's who we work for, the politicians. Um, you like to have faith that hey, they're making the best decisions at the time. I'm going to say at the time, yeah, one hundred percent. But I'm also a realist to go. Yeah, those people understand violence. Saddam inflicted violence on that country. He ran that country. Would ISIS ever, you know, came up when he was there? Nope. I mean, realist to say that. But at the same token, there's also that other part that goes, we brought the fight to them Mm -hmm. or we kept them there. Yeah. So it's, it's one of those... Yeah, I guess for me, the, with Afghanistan, I think that makes perfect sense. You know, we'll, we'll get into that here in a minute, especially with what's going on. But to me, with, with Iraq, I, I agree in that, like, at the time, mm-hmm. you know, I was there, and, and, you know, before the initial push and during the initial push, and it was like, yeah, you know, that, that makes sense. And uh, based on what we thought we knew, uh, and I would say the same, like, I think it made sense at the time. Where, where it makes uh, a difficult or a more difficult case to argue, I think, is that, you know, I, I don't know that, that there would have been any ramifications of not going in terms of attacks being launched from there on our, on our homeland. Yeah, and, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those, it's a hard one, right, Mike? Yeah. Because what was being told, what wasn't, I mean, 
Yeah. But when that, like you said, when that power vacuum went, yeah. you, know, you, you get all that stuff. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, for me, like, I, I don't regret anything. Uh, I would do it all over again. I, the way that I rationalize it, and I think, uh, at least for me, is the healthiest way to do it is to say, because I get asked probably similarly to you all the time, like, is, is it worth it? Should we have done either, either place, what have you, is that, you know, at the end of the day, you and I are, are just volunteers that, that are saying, you know what, I, I'm going to, to put myself in a position to serve my country in whatever capacity that my country collectively sees fit. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You know, and, and the rest of it kind of doesn't matter, you know, because, hey, we're rogering up to say, you know, we may have to give our life if that's what it takes, but we're, we're rogering up to do that. And, and, you know, our elected officials are going to determine what the best use for for us is at that time based on what they know. Mm-hmm. And that's the best you can do, you know. And, and so beyond that, like I said, I don't think it really fucking matters because um, because we need groups of people that are willing to do that to, to maintain our standard of living and, and, the, and just the, uh, the societal element that, that is the United States for, for it to continue and, and for us to be able to try to provide the same uh, opportunities and upbringings for our children and subsequent generations that we had. There has to be people that are willing to do that, you know. Uh, and, and I think it, it can be that simple. You know, yeah. It doesn't have to be necessarily justified from our standpoint. Now, on the pol- politician side, yes, it does. I mean, because they're totally, the ones yeah. making the decisions, putting volunteers like us uh, in the places that they're putting us. And, and it is on them to uh, to justify it and to answer for it and, and to take accountability when they make those mistakes. I do have a problem with the lack of that that seems to be going yeah. on. But um, with uh, with all of those deployments that you did to Iraq, um, is there any operation that stands out as being the most chaotic or the most successful, the most enemies on target that you guys neutralized that you could, that you could just kind of walk us through quick? There's... I mean, there's so many, right? I mean, when you look at, if you want to say your battlefield success, at least in Rick's mind, it's all, it all kind of goes way to the wayside because of the guys we lost, at least in my mind, right? So it's like, cool, track umpteen dudes. You know, we're a bunch of buddies you don't have. Yeah. Like I said, Joe's my kind of, you know, hinge point with all that. Were you the closest with him of all the guys I, that were left? I think so, because, and I think part of it has to do with, it's like the story I tell is not so much what happened on the battlefield, right? Because most people won't get it, nor can they they replicate or duplicate it. Um, I tell the story of Joe, the Baghdad Christmas cake thief. So again, he was killed uh, in December on Christmas Eve, but he would steal Christmas cakes, those little Debbie Christmas cakes, <laughs> right? They were packaged two to a two to yeah. a package back then. Yeah. Um, he would steal them from another guy, so they weren't even his. He was ripping them off somebody else. He would only eat one, yeah. and he would stick them somewhere in my kit. <laughs> and here's the thing: I didn't. I, the, where where this story, where I like to share it, and where it's so, if you want to say bittersweet, I caught him right before we rolling out the door. Stuck him he, shit. He was getting because he would stick it in my bed, in my boot, in my kit. Yeah. I don't know where I find these damn things, right? <laughs> and sure enough, his hands right there, rolling yeah. into my pillow there to stick it. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, it's you. Yeah. He's like, what? It's like this freaking Baghdad Christmas cake. Yeah. So nobody even knew it was him. No. Yeah, for a while. That's no, but I, I don't think he was giving it. I think he was just 
that was just unbeknownst our thing, right? Yeah. I don't know that anybody else oh, I gotcha. was getting... He was just fucking with you on it. Well, I think it was his way to clear his conscience, to be honest with you. Because yeah. number one, he was a Browns fan. So you got to kind of... It's like, <laughs> all right, man. But I, I think it was just, hey, man, grab one, leave one, whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah, that's the story I tell. And, you know, here's the thing. It's when guys, people that you really don't know, right? They'll send you a message on Instagram or something like that. And it's a picture of a Christmas cake. Hey, man, just want to let you know thinking of Joe. It's like, boom, thank yeah, you. That's cool. Because that keeps his memory going. Yeah. Oh, that's fucking, that's yeah. good shit. Um, even though it can't be replicated, um, I would love to hear, even if it's just one story that stands out in your mind uh, from a combat scenario standpoint of, of something that you guys did to, to relate to the listener of, of uh, that type of mission. You know, um, probably there's one... And it wasn't so much, so you call it the day of death, but it wasn't so much that there was a whole bunch of dudes being killed, either enemy or ours. It was just the heat. And um, again, don't normally work during the day. It's all right, you gotta go hit some targets. We go out there, um, wind up getting to a, a gunfight out there. And it wasn't really in an urban areas, kind of rural area. Out there dealing with that, but we need um, we need a resupply. So they come in and, and kick us out some water and some ammo and stuff. Cool. Again, 130 degrees or whatever that got in hot temperatures out there, and your water's just sitting out there cooking, yeah. right? Cool. So you get that, you know, kind of get that problem set fixed. Um, but we have something else brewing. Let's go get our resupply, get rehydrated. We've got 130 degree plus water that's been sitting out in the sun cooking. Right, and it was just one of those that went from there. Hey, just need you guys to move over here. And we're like, guys are at that brink of just going down. Hey, bring the helos in. We don't need to sneak and peek over there, just roll us over there, right? It was just one of those that get done that one, nothing really, you know, much happened there. But you just get back, guys are so, you know, just that temperature, all that kit, and they were just pretty much passing out once they got back to the, uh, to the airfix, it was just so freaking hot. And, it was one of those that you learned, okay, cool. Um, we just kicked out water bottles, right? So in a little case there, granted, it might have had a little handle. Let's start freezing those things. So now we do have to do that. We know it's hot. It's going to give us more longevity, at least give us something we can drink because you couldn't even drink the water. Yeah. So. Um, and this was, yeah. uh, what part of Iraq was that? Somewhere in the, I don't remember exactly where, somewhere in, um, could have been maybe out by Bakawa or who knows, yeah. Somewhere in the outskirts of Baghdad. Yeah. But it was one of those two, you know, we brought in, I remember we brought in some A-10s because um, we had some dudes that were uh, in the reeds and they were going to shoot some Willy P rockets. And you're thinking, cool, this ought to be cool to see. It wasn't very <laughs> impressive because I don't know if, if they just didn't work in those reeds or whatever, but yeah, yeah. of course they make you move back for that because stuff's coming in danger close. And it's like, oh, crazy. Were there any missions that you went on uh, that you guys got, kind of got your ass handed to you or where you had to fucking bag ass out of there and, and you kind of kicked over a hornet's nest you weren't expecting? I mean, we kicked over a bunch of hornet's nests, but it was always the, I think it was the support asset you had that they kind of pulled you out. Yeah. Any so. uh, Anyone in particular where, like, what was it, C-130s or fucking Apaches or what uh, What was bailing you out? A-6s. Yeah. yeah. Um, can you... Go into any detail on any of those? Um, the thing with those guys, I, here's the thing. It's 
it's kind of cheap because we kind of worked out a deal with those guys that um, it let us kind of fly their stuff, see their stuff, kind of firsthand how stuff is going. So you got a better respect for what they're doing because you look at what they're doing and go, that ah, doesn't look that hard. Well, you go ahead and get on the stick. So you try to, you know, work together rockets or something like that. It's like, ah, now I see the difficulty that you guys are trying to deal with during all these chaotic situations. Yeah. So it's just, it, it was a, you build that mutual respect. You know, they kind of know what you're doing. Um, now you have a better idea what they're doing. So when you're kind of asking them to do some things and they're pulling off the impossible, you're like, yeah, now I know why, because you guys yeah. are that good. Are these TF-160 guys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, so you do a shit ton of deployments in Iraq. It's all, you know, mostly DA type stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, at what point did you go to Afghanistan the first time? Uh, 2011. And uh, what was that like? Especially the amount of experience that you had in Iraq contrasted to going. So there. you got to think it by that point, um, I transitioned over to a handler. Mm. So um, had you used dogs in Iraq at all? Oh yeah. At, at what point? And so you, you weren't a handler in Iraq. It was just, mm -mm. A, no, but we had them. Yeah. Do you remember what year uh, you started using them? I don't remember when, um, I don't know if they were there during the initial invasion or once things got set or at what point they came in, I, I couldn't tell you exactly. Yeah. What was your, what's your first uh, memory of dog on target? Where, where you're like, holy shit, this thing's a fucking beast. Really, my first, so it's it's tied into that one I was talking about earlier. So the dog's telling us to go left. Technology's saying go right. And sure enough, the guy we were trying to, the guy that scored off the building, he went to the right. When you say so, technology, like ISR? Or, yeah. 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 Yeah, so I use technology, because when I talk about dogs, and I use technology. It doesn't matter what technology, right? So we got these super sniffers that'll sniff for explosives. Still can't, still can't beat a dog's nose, right? So it doesn't matter what technology. Just kind of wrap it all yeah. um, into one there. But yeah, the, the dog's telling us, no, man, go this way. Nope, they're going to go this way. And Did sure you enough, trust the dog? At the time, I really, I didn't know. I mean, as a unit, did you guys go left or did you go right? No, we ended up going right. Yeah. Because again, you're going, you think somebody's got an eye on it. So yeah. we're like, all right, they've got to see what's up. Yeah. And sure enough, we start huckabucking to the right. And he's like, excuse me. It's like, yeah, you need to circle back. And because <laughs> he was left and went over here. Did, so go ahead. did the dog end up uh, getting him? He did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did, did you, was that the first time you saw a dog actually go fuck somebody up? Yeah. Yeah. What, uh, where did he get him? I got him in the leg. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you get some good uh, after-action pictures of that? I did. I don't know if the handler did. <laughs> did you see it? I did. Yeah. It's fucking gnarly, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the man's leg was only about yay big. Yeah. Or he probably broke his fucking finger. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, in the circumstances of that that deal, was it a, an instance where you guys hit a target, squirters went out, yep. and, and now you're trying to find them? And, yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, so the dog tracks him down, grabs him. Uh, what happened after that? Uh, pretty much we were done because the, the building had been secured. Got the squirter. Um, pretty much packed everybody back up and yeah. flew back. Uh, did, you get, did you guys do any of the interrogations like on a guy like that? Like would you put him uh, through, through the paces first before anybody else does? Or? I mean, you might do some, some battlefield questioning depending on – it all depends on who guys are and what um, 
what you're going after, right? Yeah. So is there is there something that's going to potentially follow on to something else? So it's it's all it's all kind of the intel package. Yeah. Going, hey, who is this guy? What is he doing? Is there something else he can go to, or is he is he a link to something else? Yeah. But as yeah. far as the regular interrogations, I mean, you got interrogators that do that stuff. Yeah. Was that dog attached to you guys in particular, or was it kind of a one a one off? No, he's attached. So from that point on, you were using them quite a bit. Yeah. Were there times where you didn't use them? No. No. Was it just the one dog that was attached to you guys? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what you, can you tell what his name was? Um. So I think that was Arcos, if I remember right. Arcos. Yeah. Uh, Malinois Shepherd. Malinois. Yeah. Uh, what other successes did he have um, during the, that deployment? Um, that's the biggest one. I, I mean, I know there was. There were some other things that went on, but I can't recollect all the details, to be honest with you. Um, because, man, I, that's one thing is my memory gets super shady and then things all kind of blend together, right? Because we ended up. Um, him and Rocky, I know we had an 05, and they both got killed that year. Really? Yeah. What, uh, how so? Um, I don't remember specifically for Arcos. Uh, for Rocky, it was, um, I believe in this one particular case, the guy was in like a little outcropping or something, gunfight ensued. You know, grenades have gone in. Hey, is everything kind of settled down? Think so. Dog goes in and they got killed that way. Were you guys typically sending uh, dogs interior uh, most of the time, some of the time, rarely, or, or was it almost always busting out to a side flank, squirter control kind of stuff? Uh, for the most part, I think they were all going in. Yeah. And, and then on occasions you might have, depending on what's up, yeah. you might have a squirter type one. Yeah. yeah but that was all... You know, those, it, here's the thing, I'm not going to lie, Mike, those earlier years, do I really remember? I, I knew they were there, yeah. what they were all doing. It didn't, didn't really concern me. It did in some cases, it did in others, right? It's so not like you were paying laser focus. Not, early on, it's like, okay, but, but you're figuring out as you go. Mm-hmm. And, and it's as you progress through this thing um, that really you start seeing the value of other guys with the dogs, other things they're doing. Hey, you think you're going after two, but there's really three because the third one was hiding. You would have never known because the dog picks it up. And you see like this repetitive cycle all the time. Mm-hmm. And each time it's always the dog going, hey, man, yeah. we just, you know, pulled you out of a pinch or, or we just did this. Yeah. Were you a, a dog guy prior to being a handler? Like, did you grow up with dogs? Did you- I, I grew up with dogs, yeah, but not their pets, right? So you don't really, cool, we'll go throw the ball and, you got some dogs that'll fetch and some dogs won't. It's like, yeah, yeah. you know. But yeah, I mean, around dogs, but it wasn't yeah. wasn't to the scale when you see these guys. Sure. So it's kind of like, you know, did you drive a hot rod? Yeah. Yeah, man, I souped up my Nova, you know? Yeah. Or you're driving the Lamborghini. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. So, um, all right, so on that that earlier deployment, you had dogs for all, all the, the after deployments from there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you lose any more dogs? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like most of them or, or a well, lot of them. A lot of them, yeah. You have like ebbs and flows, right? Yeah. So there, there seems to be uh, peaks when um, 
you know, when dogs happen, yeah. you know, and then things kind of settle and pick back up and some onesie twosies. Yeah. Did you find yourself paying closer attention, being more interested in dogs as, as you got more? Or at what point did you did you decide to become a handler or did they voluntold you to do it? I, I kind of got voluntold. Yeah. Which was not really what I wanted to do. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But when once you embraced it, that's the best job ever. Yeah. Because again, I'm still working with the same guys I worked with, but now I'm an independent agent. Yeah. I know all the boys. I know the playbook. I can position myself where it makes sense. Hey guys, we need to do this because of wind or position dog, whatever you know, need be. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's keep this thing going. Uh, of all of the of the deployments that you went on, where there were dogs prior to you becoming a handler, were there any other instances where there were just huge successes that the dogs totally saved your ass that you can share? They're, they're all it. It's the common theme, right? And it typically has to do with the guys we can't see. So really, in the squirters, squirters are a big one, um, where you think you're hunting one, two, three, whatever it may be, and then next you know he picks up this one that's got. Would have you dead to rights, but nine times out of ten, they just can't see where you're at, yeah. and then boom, they're on them. It's like cool, thanks for that. And, yeah, yeah. In most of those cases, were you sending the dogs in uh, when they came into odor and, and gave you that uh, that change in behavior, or were you just using that as a holy fuck? Let's focus on that. So you had a general idea where they're going, right? And then again, you're not being a dog guy or fully understanding, knowing the tactics we're doing but not understanding like all the wise, like that I really understand why are we getting downwind? Nope. Yeah. I just knew, hey, we gotta get downwind, right? So yeah. you let the dog work its piece and yeah, it's yeah. like all of a sudden, you know, so could I see the dog change of behavior? Not back then. Yeah. I, I didn't know what I was really looking for. Yep, there goes the dog. Okay, cool. Yeah. Boom, and next thing you know, he's on somebody. Cool, yeah. I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. You know? Any other good bite stories from Iraq? Um, I mean, I can't really think. Here's the thing, I didn't really pay. It wasn't until you're a handler that you care about that really it matters, right? Because yeah. it's like, there's dad, here's son. Yeah, buddy. You, you know, <laughs> yeah. you stuck the yeah. boost to him. Nice one, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, what was the circumstance where they said you're going to be a handler now? And did you fight it? I didn't. Yeah, you're just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. It's all right. You know, was there so, a reason they gave you, or was it just, hey, we need a dude and you're the um, guy? So, concept being, hey, it would just, Help you, you know, help you along your your leadership route. I said, all right, you know, you'll have his team and run these guys and do this. It's like, all right, well, we'll give it a shake and see what happens. Yeah. So first deployment to Afghanistan, you're a dog handler. Mm-hmm. I am. Uh, tell tell me how that went. Um. It went, you know, no super, you know, complaints. I had Marco, who was my first dog. Uh, he was a Mali, super edgy dog, but he was a great battlefield dog um you know but you're it's kind of like first time handle you're kind of working yourself into it you kind of know what to do i mean we've trained stuff but now you're actually employing working going all right hey i see this thing come together uh here's the thing you've got some people that let's just say are practical jokers so you might sit there clear a compound or something somebody finds a ball type deal and thinks it's funny to check it by the dog so the sister and you know yeah. goes and chase after it's like what are you yeah. guys doing man you know? yeah <laughs> yeah um but no it's just it's it's learning how to how to better your craft with him how to employ him um 
you know, how to understand that, hey, as you get military age males out, you need to kind of separate yourself so that he's not going, hey, there's the easy win there, and I don't need to work as hard in there. So just setting yourself up for, you know, success on that one. Yeah. Um, where uh, where did you guys go on that deployment? Mainly up uh, TF North. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and what um, was it a similar type of mission set in Afghanistan that you were doing in Iraq? Or yeah. We, yeah, still, still doing HVTs, except this time... Uh, where the challenge comes in is versus being terrain. solely unilateral, you've got some Afghanis rolling with you. Yeah. Was, that, was the terrain pretty rough there, oh too? Yeah. 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 Um, in terms of, of you handling Marco, you said it was? Yeah. Um, how many uh, successes did you have with him uh, on that first deployment? I mean, we had, it, we had quite a few. You know, a bunch, bunch of bites in there. Um, we had actually uh, post-assault detection finds. You know, so we did. From a route clearance standpoint, was he pretty effective finding ca caches? We really didn't do route clearance because we were pretty much flying. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was all like quick fucking in and out. Yeah, I'd get there, you know, once the assault done, then we'll swap them over from, uh, you know, from assault mode over to who detection. Yeah. Did you struggle with that at all? Getting really, into really didn't. Yeah. No. It once you kind of, I, I think there's a niche to it, right? And it's all about kind of the routine you set up with them. And I think if you set that routine up uh, back home, but then you don't. We get a lot of times want to go down the road of always rewarding, right? So if we're going to do a detection problem, he's going to find odor, right? Nope. So you start plugging blanks in there. And we seem to have better success getting that transitional process to go. Yeah, I think so, you know so much of it depends on the dog's drives and and the context with which uh, you know you're you're imprinting that. But uh, yeah, I know. Fuck with some of them, it's like once that light switch is on, it's almost impossible to turn it off. You know, uh, the other thing I know a lot of times people worry about is you know is, is if you're not rewarding, you know, the same way that you would proof a dog off of something is not not rewarding him and, and, you know, they worry about stifling uh, certain, certain drives that way. But I, I do truly believe if it's the right dog, it doesn't, doesn't matter. Yeah. But yeah, it, you're not going to stifle them. Yeah. But um, in terms of the, uh, some of the bites, can you share any of the bites uh, from Marco uh, when, when you were his handler? So, um, I don't know. I can't recollect for him if we had anything inside. I think everything was exterior, if I recollect correctly. On that first deployment. Yeah. And again, it everything kind of blends together, right? So trying to pick out which dog was it, which target. Was it my dog? Was it somebody else's? Was it... Um, I think for him, his was only exterior, if I recollect correctly. Or they all somebody's fucking running and chases them. Typically, that or somewhere out in vicinity thereof. So, hey, I'm going to go hidey hole over here or something like that. And again, it's the classic. Yeah. Um, hey, we didn't know you were there. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people real encounters so come with us on the journey into the unknown ufo chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps i'll see you soon yeah and all of a sudden boom 
see that change of behavior when he's really hungry. Did he, uh, in terms of if you were to compare him to any of the other dogs that you were around uh, and or handled, uh, how would how would you rate uh, him in, in bite work comparatively? Um, I would probably give him maybe an eight-ish. So above average mouth. Yeah, he was above average. Yeah. yeah, he was he was a super, he was a great, you know, I, I, I use the word edgy as kind of my word for him. Great battlefield dog, right? But he wasn't, he probably wouldn't have been the right dog if I were to retire him and bring him home. Yeah, so, so he's even better on the, on the battlefield. Oh, dude, 100%, yeah. yeah. Did, I mean, did he... Legit fuck people up oh, yeah. pretty, pretty bad. Yeah. Like, what was the worst one you saw? Um, I think old boy had a femur break. Yeah, I believe. Was that uh, so? Not the not the one, the original one you're talking about. And no, just it was, somebody it was, else. Yeah, it was another one. Um, the skinny skinny dude. He was. Uh, I mean, so when I'm looking at dude size as far as you know, not super skinny. But I mean, wasn't a super because the Afghanis are are kind of heavier set people, right? For whatever reason, when you compare them to Iraqis, at least to me, they seem, you know, whether it's them pumping the mountains or whatever, <laughs> um, this guy just didn't seem to have his Afghani legs, if you want to say. Yeah. So yeah. Did uh, I mean, did that put him in shock? Like, did he pass out? He was hooping and hollering pretty good. Yeah. I, I don't know because again, at a certain point, all right, cool, done your thing, you've done your job, you get him off, the boys have him, and then. Doc's going to do whatever, and then, you know. Yeah, yeah. no, I hear you. Um, it, it's kind of, because, again, if I'm trying to sit there, hey, what's going on in there? Man, yeah. now he's just, yeah. you know, yeah, going crazy. And then typically you've got to go transition over and do something else. Yeah. D- did you ever have any issues with him biting uh, people he wasn't supposed to? Except, except for me. Just you? He tested me one day. Yeah. What happened, uh, what happened there? He saw Jesus, <laughs> and he came back to me. He saw Jesus. Yeah, he came, he to, came Jesus. Back to me again. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, what were the circumstances that led up to, to him challenging? I, it, total, it was um, back in the rear, nothing really going on. And I think this was, I think it was after we got back from that trip. And it wasn't like he was under, under pressure or anything like that. And he just wanted to, uh, to test the water. Yeah. And maybe he thought that, Hey, his nuts dropped, and he was the man. And yeah. hey, Dad, I'm not going to listen to you. And okay, yeah. yeah, I can remember my buddies going, "You're killing your dog." Yeah, I know. <laughs> ba-boom, ba-boom, ba-boom. Yeah. See me? Yeah. Ba-boom, ba-boom. Yeah. Was, was there a, how many deployments did you do with uh, with that dog? Just one. Cause I, yeah, because I ended up losing him. What happened? We had to put him down. Oh no, some, shit! So yeah. it wasn't an in combat kind no. of thing. Was it? Uh, it who knows what ailment, rubbish? You know. So he just got really sick. Oh, no shit, over there? I, he seemed to be fine, kind of coming back. I don't know, did he get something there? Was it something genetic in there? I, I don't know what the, the yeah. driving factor was. So yeah. taking him in, they couldn't determine what was wrong with him? Wow. Had some, yeah. Huh. He had some crap that was breaking him down, so it was just like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, how many dogs did, uh, did you guys have uh, within 7th crew? So by that time, I transitioned over to use the sock. So okay. um, we had a bunch of dogs. Yeah. So oh, I know what you mean. All right. Um, so at that point, um, you pick up another dog. Yeah. So I, p- I picked up Duco at that point. Yeah. And here's the thing. I didn't want Duco. Yeah. I said, because he was a Dutch Shepherd. I said, I want a Mally. Yeah. You know, he was our float dog. And it's like, dude, where's my Mally? I want my, my Mally back. Yeah. Um, 
But here's the thing. We, oh, when I get him, I think Mayish time frame, and we're over to Afghanistan in maybe August, July, August time frame. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, short turnaround. That dog was an absolute best choice I could have done, yeah. right? Very social dog, so he could, he had no problems being around the boys. Um, he was one of those, like, you started seeing, yep, I can, I know you're going to be the dog I'm going to retire. Um, not that the guys didn't like Marco. It was just, you could just tell he was that edgier type. Yeah. You know, Duco. He's more reactive. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Duco, they sit there and steal my dog one night. Savages. Oh, yeah, dude. What are you savages doing? Yeah. So, you know, send him in, doing his business, you know, trying to recall him back to me. Where is my dog? Look on the monitor. He's got multi-cam pants. Like, who's got the dog? Oh, we do. We're going over here. How about a little courtesy? Yeah. You know? So he was he was all about business. Like, he'd work for anybody. Push oh, he man. would. Yeah. 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 I mean, awesome. not that they knew what they were doing with him. Yeah. But it was just that. I mean, that's that's how much of a bond... Yeah. Was there how much the boys, yeah. you know, respected these guys and yeah. Well, I, I, there. I mean, to me, one of the things I've noticed with, uh, you know, over over the years, you know, a lot of different dogs is that there's there's some dogs and not a lot of them. I mean, they're all good dogs. They're all, you know, very cognitive and operant and, and smart and, and easy to train comparatively to, mm-hmm. to pet dogs and, and are remarkable beasts, no doubt about it. But there's some that for lack of better terms, they just fucking get it. Yeah. You know, and I, I wish I had a better way to explain nope. it. Uh, yeah. You know, but they just fucking get it. It's, it's like they're people. Yeah. You know, they're, they're so, like, remarkably intuitive that, that yeah, it's just like there's this weird fucking thing, uh, connection or chemistry or whatever the fuck you want to call it, that uh, that's just impossible to describe, but, um, but you know, also impossible to, to mistake that, that it exists. You know, it's, uh, and it sounds like that that's what he was. So here's the thing, Mike, right? To just caveat for him. To me, he was the gold standard. Yeah. He was the dog if I could put in the magic clone machine and spit 10,000 of them out. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, I mean, I've had uh, a few of those just because of the, of the volume of dogs that, mm-hmm. you know, that I've been through in the last uh, 15 years. But... Uh, that, that were that way. It's just yeah. like, dude, if I could fucking recreate that dog, yeah. uh, you know, it just yeah, it'd be perfect. But um, from a like a selection and training standpoint, did you have any, uh, or did you play any role in the selection of Duco? Like, did you get to to help test and select, or no. was it just here's no, your he, next dog? He, he was actually our our floater, our spare dog. Oh, okay. Yeah, so he <laughs> was already there. Um, so I had nothing nothing to do with that. So it, it's kind of no different. Hey, Marco's gone. All right. Here's this new dog. So I've got a, a black duchy. All right, we don't really want him, but yeah, we make him yeah. make him work. And next thing you know, it's it's the best thing ever because I think hindsight being 2020, it was better getting another dog because a lot of the mistakes you made with the first one, mm-hmm. you don't make with the second one. Yeah. So Marco, I was very again new handler. This guy's a weapon of war, right? Train. Put them up. We don't have fun. It's just you're here for the fight. Boom, boom, boom. And then one of my handlers goes, "Hey, dude, he's a dog. You don't have to, you know, treat him like an M60." Yeah, yeah. You know, he doesn't need to go in the arms room. Yeah, all the time. Get him out. So yeah, and I think that's that just helped things better. Uh, I believe with Duco. 
Yeah. And plus just his personality. So sure. Yeah. Um, when you first uh, paired up with him, did you have to go through a handler course or I'm assuming, did you guys do in houses or did you go? Yeah, to we did. We did in house, but not for him. Him was, so him being Duca, we're saying, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it was, there's your dog. Yeah. Because so, I'd, I'd already done the handler course. Yeah. I've already got a deployment yeah. with the dog. So, you just so it's just like, all right, cool. Yeah. Had uh -huh. he deployed with a handler before then? No. No. Uh -huh. So he'd been kind of trained up or pre-trained yeah. and then, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so you go right back to Afghanistan with him. Uh -huh. And uh, what was what was the first mission that you went on with him that, that rings a bell or that you can remember? The, the one that sticks out... Really, um, there's a couple that stick out, but the, the big one for us in 12, uh, we ended up falling out of a helo. So we're flying in a target one night. Like um, falling out, falling out? Oh, yeah, like falling out 30 feet. Shit. Oh, yeah, dude. God damn, 30 yeah. feet? Yeah, that, that's going to be my recollection. So from going off a 10-meter, <laughs> from a 10-meter board, you know, what at night fuck? trying to go, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing. That's I mean, about. How the fuck did that happen? Uh, so funny you should ask, right? <laughs> so we're coming in. Um, couldn't really tell, but the ground was sloped. So the 60 comes in, he starts rolling. Says, all right, I guess the brakes didn't work or whatever. It comes to a, a rear wheel hover. So it looks like a little, you know, three, four foot drop, nothing big deal. And for whatever reason, as we're getting ready to exit, I mean, you're right at that point. I got Duco on my left side and getting ready to make that bend and that final push out because we're stepping off and boom. Oh, shit. He cranks power. <laughs> Isn't good. Yeah. So end up hitting. Um, was it just the two of you that fell out? Just the two of us. Fucking Christ. Yeah. Was it a hot area? I don't know what caused them. I, I can't recollect. I mean, it, like landing, were you guys in danger of being fucking overrun? Like, was it a. a I, I mean, I could see where the compound was at. I mean, yeah. but I don't know if there was anything. I don't know if the pilot did anything to negate something. Yeah. Not from, you know, again, I'm just worried about, hey, let me get out with him. Yeah. Didn't. See anything there? I mean, did you guys get pretty fucked up? Oh yeah, dude. Yeah. So to me, I think this is where um, I kind of explain the situation. Then kind of, I'll go into I think what the after effects have been. Uh, so obviously we hit. Nods get knocked off your face. So Duco's handle to his vest is all wrapped in these fingers. So this looks like a big, just twisted pile of crap. Um, but when I come to, the tail rotor is like super close to my head. I'm like, I don't know where the hell this thing is. Let's try to low crawl out of here and eventually finally the bird flushes and all right, get my nod straight, check my magazine. There's no, you know, no magazine in there. All right, we gotta get a fresh one. And as soon as we go like this, this hand doesn't wanna work. I'm like, all right, this isn't good. So we'll load it up in the right, just thinking, hey, it's tweaked, it's owied, it's whatever. Um, as we're moving up to that one, I remember there was a couple of like those little exterior cave digouts, you know, on the side. Uh, of course, they call me up to clear those things. It's not big enough for two guys to get in there, so I really don't have a cover guy. So it's basically me and Duke, and I got to figure out. And Duke seems to be walking fine, right? It's like, yeah, my hand's kind of jacked up, and not really know what's going on, but that's all right. Um, I put him on a long line, but I can't use it in a classic sense because I don't have this left arm. So I basically tuck it underneath these arms and kind of just use my arms coming underneath to feed him what I need. And I just basically got my rifle like this because this hand doesn't work. So, all right, that's it. I'm going to get shot in the face because it's just like everything that can, you know, can go wrong could. 
that worked out fine. You hit those, and this is where things get interesting. The classic, you know, concussive amnesia. I don't remember actions on. I don't remember what what happened. Um, and that's where you know you sit there and go. I remember telling Doc, "Hey, I got to see you when we get back." But I don't remember. Did Duke go in? I know we had a couple of detainees. Did his muzzle come off? I don't know. Hmm. You know, so it's it's. So it's like just a fucking pocket of gray area that you don't. Yeah, it's so yeah. So you know, I've talked to people about it. It's that just that concussive amnesia, right? So it's like you can't. Your brain got rocked, and it's like why I picked up this little bit, but I don't. Of all things, actions on. You should remember, hey man, did I employ him in? Did I at least pull his, pull his muzzle off? What yeah. what was I doing? Yeah. It's like total blackout drive. Um, you know, I go see Doc and, and hey, the hand doesn't work. I say, hey, let's check Duke out because he was with me. He seemed to be, yeah, looks good. Let's go get the hand checked out because we were, I initially thought it was broke. Uh, and he's like, no, it doesn't seem to be broke. Maybe flip the tendon over because it was just messed up. Um, nothing was wrong. It was just all superficial soft tissue stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> Did I say anything about my head? Hell no. Yeah. Why? Because that'll get you out of the fight, right? Sit there and send you home or do whatever. You were fucked up. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I lied. I lied for the longest time. Yeah. I told people I had unaccounted time. <laughs> yeah. What does that mean? That's, that's, li- that's what you tell your old lady. Well, yeah. You know. But but it's 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 like you're lying, man. Yeah. Um, but to me, I think that was the downfall. For me, both you know physically and when I say mentally, to the you know TBI side, and I hate to use I because it's eyes. You know, I think that was the final, that episode was the final one, I think, that kicked me over the edge and just started that downhill slide from there. Yeah. I guess in terms of, of that injury and, and how it started that downward spiral, I mean, that was towards the beginning of, of the first deployment with him. Mm-hmm. And so wh- how was the rest of that deployment? Man, it was, we had, you know, we got some stuff on that deployment. Um, you know, you wind up doing things you don't, you're not trained to do, yeah. but you think would be a good idea. All right? <laughs> that sounds familiar. Okay. That sounds so, like teenage years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we were hitting this one target one night. I remember specifically, um, count was 10 foreign fighters on target. All right? Of course, we're bringing the dog because that's what we do. Um, then it's one of those, hey, you need to employ the dog. I said, okay. How many guys are in there? 10 foreign fighters. You don't need the dog, yeah. nor did, you know, and this was coming from higher, not from my guys, right? <clears throat> so it's always somebody back in the job going, shit that has yeah, no business going, telling you what to hey, do. Hey, you know, put the dog in. No. Yeah. Of course, they were all like, no, we're not putting the dog in. Yeah. Um, you know, long story short, guys are all bunkered in there. Gunfight ensues. It's all right. Best course of action. Hey, we're going to pull back here a little bit. Uh, we're still within the danger close parameter there, but. Uh, I don't know what told me to re-muzzle him, but it's like, let me just go stick his muzzle on. Best choice ever, man. Because yeah. I think we had either two or four hundred, two or four or five hundred pounders. Holy shit! Come in, oh yeah, dude, and fucking went ape shit. Yeah, it's like, oh. I, I don't know what said muzzle him up, which said, I don't know, <laughs> but it was like one of those best decisions because I think at any point, you know, yeah. would he have been me? I don't know, but it was just one of those that. That's a lot. I mean, we're getting hammered by that stuff. He's getting hammered by that stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but it's one of those lessons never taught that you just go, yeah, <laughs> let's yeah. just let's just do this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so how how was the I guess the rest of that deployment? I mean, were you able to, for lack of a better term, snap out of it? I mean, did, or or did it just kind of progressively get more degenerative? We seem to be okay. It, it it so about the point, and I never really got if you want to say like my hand medically cleared because I knew there were certain things I couldn't do, but it was like, I think it was about two weeks that I couldn't do anything. And again, our, our rotation time had increased a little bit longer over there. Was it still, so it was a little longer than three? Yeah, we were, we were like four or five months. Yeah. Um, but like I couldn't place my hand all the way down and really put pressure. So like now, if I needed to leap like over those little stupid mud walls and stuff, it just took a little figuring out because now I've got him and trying to work other stuff. So, what, what about mental acuity, clarity? Was that a lot? And say, oh yeah, it was spot on. It what? It's all spotty, right? Yeah. So, it, so at that point, things start getting spotty. Like you get some high points, and I think this is why it goes back to the other points. Why are some things clear? Why why do some things fade off? Why does this stick out and this doesn't? Um, but it just, I I kind of put everything back to that because up to that point fairly healthy, things seem to work well. That's like when you start getting the achies and I was, yeah. you know, the back hurts more than others, the neck hurts, you know. Yeah. This arm we knew was jacked up. Did you notice, I guess, it, you know, if, if your recollection is, is fuzzy mm-hmm. from uh, getting your bell rung so hard, falling from 30 feet out of a helicopter, was there a point where your teammates were like, hey, bro, you're kind of fucking a little wishy-washy, or, or were you able to, to still operate at a level where they didn't? I had, like I said, short of that, short of that night of the, the incident, everything else seemed to be fine, right? Okay. Was, I, was I necessarily firing at optimal speed? I think my brain was okay. Physically, we were kind of jacked up. I mean, good um, enough to not lose your job. Yeah. You know, which yeah. means a really high level at, the, at that point. Um, was Duco okay, or was he still kind of hobbling around? He, no, he, that's the thing. He, he showed no signs, right? He looked good, you know, as looking at his at his walk, is his gait okay, is everything nothing. Yeah. Like like nothing ever happened. But we'll fast forward and I think that I believe that incident was also why we had to medically retire him. Because I think it was sixteen ish, if I remember right, because I retired in seventeen. You know, we're out just doing a training exercise. And all he's gotta do is just jump in the back of uh a little Ford Ranger pickup truck, not that high of a jump. And all of a sudden, as he's going, it's like the legs don't want to fire. Like those back legs don't want to go. It's not that he doesn't have the desire. It's not like he doesn't want to go off the decoy. He just can't get up there. Yeah. And we're like, whoa, dude, what's going on? So he was trying and couldn't. It's like the, yeah, it's like the, you know, it's like he was almost like frozen in time. Yeah, I gotcha. Um, you know, that's, the vets the vets looked at him, couldn't see anything. You know, we took x-rays, all that stuff, but there was nothing. Yeah. So now you're going, is that something neurological? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So were you able to deploy with him again after that? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, similar? Well, no, not, so, six, so 16 was his, I think it was 16, because that was my last deployment. That was his cut year. That was his what? La, so six, I didn't deploy anymore after 16. Okay. So, and I retired in 17. Yeah. <laughs> On your last deployment with him, so you're... You did I, two I, deployments. Yeah. So I didn't take him I didn't take him to sixteen. Okay. I left him back. Yeah. But it was a it was a shorter type deal. Okay. Did you take a dog or not? I did. Yeah. 
which dog was this? Uh, it was a different. It was a uh, different dog we had. So it was another guy. Um, it was his primary dog. Oh, okay. I just took him over. So like but, a, he got hurt and you grabbed his dog and went over kind of thing. Or? Yeah. 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 He had some family stuff he had to deal with. Went out, used the dog, but we never wasn't any work with you know for the dog. It was yeah. one of their. You're there. But kind of. Yeah. Standby to standby. Type I mean, of. even from a, just being able to do that, obviously, like you've got a fair bit of experience. The dog is seasoned. Mm-hmm. Did you, were you able to grab the leash and, and get right after it, or was there uh, any challenge to, to grabbing that dog? Mm-hmm. No problem. No, because it, just kind of the way we did stuff, the dogs were all in that inner circle, right? Yeah. So at some point, um, they saw you for feeding, they saw you out training. You know, there was, you were part of that. Yeah. And I mean, I've even worked some some different dogs in my primaries, you know, on the battlefield just because you need to get a dog out. Hey, this is your float. Cool. Let's get his legs out just to see is he worth something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious from a training standpoint, uh, bite work wise, mm-hmm. um, just out of my own curiosity, I guess, did you find, did you guys do a lot of the decoy work or did you have a couple guys that were really good at it that did most of it? I know, like, from an initiation standpoint, a lot of times, like, yeah, put the new guy in the suit and fucking send him down the hallway, which I, I kind of disagree with. That's, that's dumb, right? So um, we had people that did it, but we also kind of did it ourselves. Yeah. Um, so we had, uh, like, we brought Frank Arangelini in. You know, so you get somebody that's a, a decoy, give you a class on it. Because, again, that, to me, when you look at the dog training world, is probably one of the most missed opportunities, right? Mm-hmm. So cool, you're in the suit. The dog bites you. Yeah. You're supposed to be training that dog. All right, cool. What am I looking for? Am I helping him? Am I doing bite development? Or is he just... Yeah. And, and that's where I just think that's... You know, or, you know, people that do the send right? Oh, go run. We're going to send the dog on you. Dumb. Yeah. Dumb. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I think uh, spot on. I mean, it's probably the most underrated skill set in, in dog training from a, a police or military working dog standpoint that, you know, I, I would liken it to a really high-level uh, striking coach, mm-hmm. you know, for MMA, is, yeah. is that it's it's like saying, you know, here, here's a couple of hand pads. You've never boxed a day in your life. Now we're going to, you know, stand here and, and let this professional boxer yeah. work work your pads. Like, it, it's that dumb mm-hmm. to have somebody that, that doesn't know what they're doing. Yep. Uh, but yet, that's, that's what you see. It's like, you know, well, I don't want to get in the fucking suit, you know, or, or they just put some guy that volunteers that wants to be on the dog team or whatever and, mm-hmm. and similarly doesn't know anything. But but here's here's where I think you can you can make a transition since we're kind of talking bite, you know, and training stuff. To me, on the flip side, the muzzle is the most underutilized tool there. You know, I think that we did a lot of muzzle stuff. In, term, in terms of uh, aggression work with a muzzle? Here, I'm, here, here's one area where I'm going to, as respectfully as possible, sure. I guess, disagree. But, okay. uh, you know, my, my thoughts on muzzles is, is for sure outside the norm, I think, with, uh, with a lot of units. But, it, um, you know, not that I want to get too far in the weeds from a dog training standpoint. But, you know, I guess the way I look at it um, is that, you know, the muzzle, to me, is a piece of equipment the same way anything else is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's going to be a contextual association that that dog is going to attach to that the same way there is a suit or a sleeve or a whip or, or anything else. The problem that I that I have with it is that from a genetic standpoint, uh, I don't think that you're really teaching the dog a whole lot 
from a technique standpoint because they're not biting, uh, they're, they're not aggressing the way that they're going to do for real or the way that they would on a suit. Mm-hmm. And so, again, it's just my, my beliefs is that if it's, if it's genetically the correct dog, mm-hmm. I don't feel that, that a, a muzzle is going to help that dog fight at all. Okay. On the transverse, I think if genetically it's not the right dog, that muzzle isn't going to turn him into the dog that's going to fucking nuke somebody that mm-hmm. previously won't. And so, but I think I think to what you're saying, I think you can get it. Um, you can pull more data from the latter because, like, if I don't hear him clacking his teeth in there, right? If he's just trying to nudge and not really showing that aggression, I think that can give you some signs potentially. Um, but like the beauty with the muzzle is it opens up to me more parameters that you can do work. Yeah. So if I want to sit there and put a bunch of role players in here. Yeah. You know. Yeah, for sure on on that end, I agree with you 100%. I guess where I see it used or in my opinion misused is this isn't the right dog, right? It, it's genetically it, it's too soft, it's too mm-hmm. weak, doesn't have any true natural forward aggression. And so we're going to try to use a muzzle to get him not equipment fixated and and to me like that's a mistake. Yeah. You know, you should already have that. I mean, it's a tool to enhance yeah. 100%. You know, if you're sitting there trying to put a Band-Aid over a sucking chest wound, then. Yeah. I, I guess, yeah, I mean, that's just where I where I see it, you know, in doing seminars or mm-hmm. uh, workshops or whatever. It's like, you know, hey, we, you know, we do a, a ton of muzzle work, and it's all, you know, aggression-based stuff when, you know, if you really evaluate the dog, like, hey, this this isn't the right dog, and the muzzle isn't going to make him a right dog. You yeah. Know? But, um, but anyway, uh, that's, a, that's a good distinction for sure. Um I guess for also from a training standpoint, um, were there training scenarios that you guys did um, that uh, that you were kind of pushing the envelope? Things that, that you hadn't done before that you developed, uh, you know, while while you were there as a handler, uh, capability wise, like things that hadn't been done before that you guys kind of figured out or, or started doing. Um, probably the NFF piece was, you know, yeah. Did you do and, much jumping with a dog? So here's the thing. It's not smart to jump the dog, right? So I, I think that's the big, you know, misconceptions. All right, cool, you got to jump your dog. What proficiency is he getting as a passenger? Yeah, zero. Do, do I have to be, you know, it's like a, a, a guy you're on a tandem. Yeah. Do you have to have jumped before? Nope, just hold on for the ride and go. Yeah, yeah I think, you know, do it once to make sure that he, he's done it and can handle it and be on that. That's it, that. yeah. that's it. Go for the ride and, you know, but I think that's probably, you know, you look at it, and again, I was not, I don't think I was the, MFF master or whatever, but I would say when you look at, at dog stuff across the board, I'd say that's probably the the biggest thing that I saw. You know, if you want to say capability wise, is how do we how do we bring this guy to the next level? Yeah. And I, I think that's it. Yeah. Um, from a uh, I guess retirement standpoint, what uh, what did that process look like in terms of? I mean, you didn't take him on that last deployment. Was was he retired at that point already? And he, I didn't take him because I did not want to put um, the guys at risk. Yeah. I knew I didn't have, uh, you know, a fully functioning dog like I wanted to. So it's like, hey, we'll just leave you. Uh, take this other one. You know, so that was my call. Could I have? I could have. Yeah. But I didn't want to, you know, it's kind of like the guy that has, you know, the jacked up leg. Mm-hmm. Can he still move with everybody? Yeah. But if I ask you, hey, dude. We got to go boogie. Yeah, full tilt. Is he gonna go? Yeah. So I, I don't want to do that. That yeah. was one of my things. I, I just. Yeah. How old was he at that point? Was he eight? 
think here. Yeah, he was eight. Yeah. I re yeah. So did you retire him then once she got back? Because did it get to it, the point where it's like, well, if I can't take him, what's the fuck? Yeah, it, and it's it's one of those that um, it just doesn't drop like that, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit of work that goes in there. But yeah, at that point, I was like, yeah, dude, you know, I just didn't want to risk that. And it's like, let's go ahead and, and start the paperwork to get you retired. Yeah. Before the retirement, were you taking him home? Was he around your family and kids? So we don't, yeah. The dog stayed at the kennels. Yeah. Uh, he had been at the, the house before. Um, he was there in 12 for his gastropexy because whenever there's medical, he's got something medical that needs that constant supervision, then yeah, we can take him. But what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I know, you know, police department, military-wise, like it's, fuck, everybody does it different. I mean, do you, do you think that's good, bad? Um, I, I get it, you know, in that. I think it's a two-fold deal. Can you bring every dog home? Nope. Yeah. Is every handler the guy to bring that dog home? Nope. Yeah. So, so I think you have to look at the team. Yeah. And really that team concept is, all right, is this a brand new handler with, you know, let's say you bring somebody like Marco home. Is he going to try to test you there? Is he going to try to test the kids? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, that and I think, you know, you, even when the circumstances are appropriate, the wild card is everybody else, you know, is that, it could be something as simple as you're taking him out to load him up to go to work and the neighbor kid flat, you know, runs over and tackles him and gets nuked or whatever. And yeah. it's just or or just something stupid where how about this? Maybe he's sitting there, one of the kids aren't paying attention, steps on the leg, now he he jacks his leg up. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now I got a you know, a dog that can't work yeah. or Yeah, I mean uh, unquestionably it's the right call to uh to spend as much time with him as possible mm -hmm. bond wise. But yeah, there's there's so many other pieces there. I mean I can tell you the this foundation right here, sure. most of the dogs we have are because of dumb, dumb shit like that. You know, yeah. the kid, the kids did something, or, or the dog bit the neighbor and their dog, or, or whatever. But, and but see, I think a lot of that can be. It, think about it. I was very, even when Duca retired, right? Even the times I brought him home, you're very observant. So what's the difference between the battlefield yeah. and everywhere else? No, because right? everyone goes, oh, you're hyper vigilant. You're this. No, I'm just aware of my surroundings. Yeah. No, I, I agree a hundred percent. I mean, I, I'm not. Not saying that uh, you know against the policy of being able to take the dog home uh, to, to justify that. I'm just saying you know most of the dogs we get are, are because of mistakes that were made. You know either mishandling them or uh, from a training standpoint uh, creating um, inadvertent behaviors that that are undesirable mm -hmm. without realizing it. You know type type stuff. But yeah. um, I, I would have loved to take them home. I wish I could have. Yeah. You know on a constant basis. Yeah. Um, so when uh, once you did retire him, uh, you retired. What about a year after that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, how have you felt since since retiring? Um, you know, as a man, as a father, as a twenty nine year combat vet, um, what's been what's been that mental journey like for you since retiring? It, you know the the mental journey's been interesting per se because uh, you got to rewind the tapes. Um, I think it was. End of 16, 17, I mean, I was an inpatient at the VA for six weeks. Oh, wow. My brain was, it was smoked. Um, guys I'd known 10 plus years. I'd be like, so you're no longer Mike here. Hey, bud. Hey, buddy. Hey, pal. Oh, no shit. Yeah, because I can't remember your name. Wow. Where'd I park my truck? I have no idea. So now you're kind of wandering to your local, you still like to park here, maybe over there because there's a shade tree. God damn. Oh yeah, dude. It, it was, but you were conscious enough of that it was happening to, to realize that it was happening. I knew I needed some help, right? Yeah. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. And then I didn't realize um, 
it's like always late to the punch, right? I didn't go to the physical therapist till I got one arm that doesn't pull and one arm that doesn't push. Hey, we need to fix this. Then Pandora's box starts opening up. And then you're finally like, hey, man, I can't remember things. Yeah. So finally do that. And then you find out, you know, why was my, my shooting and my CQB skills dropping off? Because now I've got an eye convergence issue because this one's slower than the other one. So now when I'm looking here, trying to converge there on some sites, it's not happening. Yeah. And you're just like, good Lord, man. But did you, did you have uh, MRIs and CAT scans and shit done to see damage to your brain? Have you had any of the therapies like the magnet stuff or anything? I haven't. Yeah. And, and here's the thing. Um, they did a very good job with me, right? So that, that program, you know, patched me up. What, what did they do? So really it was, um, I put a lot of it on the speech therapist. And you're going to go, what's wrong with your speech? It's, it's the person that does the cognitive rehab. Why they call them speech therapist, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, but NICO, so the um, Intrepid Spirit guys, you know, they got the same thing. Um, so I, I end up being, like I said, outpatient or inpatient for the VA for six weeks. Then I have to come back to Fort Bragg. And now I'm dealing with, you know, Intrepid Spirit doing follow-on um, with the, uh, the speech therapist. But I think that's where the money's made, you know. So it's getting those neural pathways built back in your brain. Um, what are we doing for mental exercises? Uh, how are we incorporating mental exercises and physical activities? How are you putting all of these things together? Um, looking at really what are you eating? What are you, you know, are you getting your omegas? Are you doing everything to enhance your brain? I, I think it's recoverable. I think everyone's going to be different, yeah. but there's got to be some strategies. You know? mm -hmm. Why do I sit there and brush my teeth with my left hand sometimes just to try to get neural pathways going? Yeah. Changing things up. Why do you write with your toes? Just because I, I'm not there. I wish I could. I, yeah. I would be in the circus, you yeah. know. <laughs> um, so, for, um, I guess you know. So you, you kind of get get through all that. You get retired, and then mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious, you know, from 2017 to now, looking back on your career and, and as getting out. I know with a lot of guys, you know, spending especially that amount of time doing you know such high level special operations stuff, you get used to that being the way of life, mm -hmm. you know. And, and while for the rest of your life, it's impossible to separate yourself from that to a, a certain extent. I, I find, you know, I've had a lot of guests on that, that there's an element of almost kind of losing your identity because you're so attached to being that, you know, and now. But, yeah. Um, did you experience any of that? No, because that wasn't my identity. Yeah. My identity is Rick Hogg. Yeah. My identity is Warhog Tactical. Yeah. It was, and I think that's the key part for guys when they're getting out. And I would try to tell everybody, go be an entrepreneur. Yeah. I think there's nothing better. No, I agree. It, it, you know, yeah. I worked for the man for 29 years. Yeah, I am the now man. I'm the man. Yeah. Well, kind of my wife's <laughs> now, but you know what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Is it struggles? Is it hard? Yeah, but I think that's the thing. That's the thing that keeps us going, right? Yeah. If life was easy, yeah, sure. it's boring. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've talked about this on a number of episodes. I mean. Some of the most successful and, and wealthy people that I've ever met are also some of the most miserable people I've ever met mm -hmm. b because they lose that purpose. Even yeah. if they have a ton of money doing things that the only reason they're doing them is because it makes them a lot of money, not because they're passionate about it. They're fucking miserable. You yeah. know, on the same token, there's people that are broke as shit, but they love what they do and they're happy as fuck. Exactly. Uh, you know, and, and so, yeah, and, and I agree. I'm right there with you in that, like, I never had any of those, like, fuck, what am I doing now? You know, there were times where, you know, and especially because I did 12 and a half years, mm -hmm. you know, I got out at the end of 08, uh, you know, so there was a good chunk of active time, but, but I still like, you know, 
years and years after after being out, like there's guys that I was in with that are still in, and you know some of them are fighting and dying, and mm-hmm. you know there was an element that was tough to to kind oh, of yeah. reconcile that a, a little bit, but not enough to where I was depressed or fucking miserable or, or suicidal about it, and mm-hmm. I just jumping right into into being an entrepreneur, especially, and I think you're, you're probably similar that way too, especially when it's doing something that's related. You know, it's like when I'm when I'm working with high level dogs, yep. with, still with military groups or police departments or whatever, still doing some shit that's really cool. Like I, I never missed a beat really that way. Like I never sat around and was like, "Oh fuck, I'm miserable," and now I'm doing this shitty office job. Or you know, like it, I just never had that. It sounds like it's kind of the same. It, it's similar, but I've got to do one clarification. So the dog world's, trust me, the dog world's dog eat world, dog eat dog, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but the firearms <laughs> industry is worse. Mm-hmm. Because everyone's going to think because you did 29 years in the Army, oh, you're naturally going to go into it. Yeah. No, no, no. 2002, this thing was fired up. Yeah. You know, that, that's the part. It, that's the, the message I need to convey to guys, right? Yeah. I do this because I love what I'm doing. I don't ever want to get another um, phone call, email, text to go, hey, man, that stuff you taught me saved my life. I don't. I'll teach you the skill set. I want you to have the skill set. God forbid you're in that gunfight. You smash them like nobody's business. But... I'd prefer they don't, yeah. you know, but I want you to at least have the skill because if you've got the skill, you're going to come home. So you started in 02. Was there any uh, conflict of interest bullshit? That you had? I, I wasn't. So the only thing I was doing then was just teaching North Carolina concealed carry mainly to my guys, Yeah. right? So in essence, here's what you were getting. You're doing in the training program. Has anyone want their North Carolina concealed carry stuff? Yeah. Cool. I've already taught you all the marksmanship stuff. Let's go over the legal stuff on the weekend. Okay, there you go, guys. It was... I was just trying to take care of my guys. That was it. Yeah. And we didn't really start, if you want to say, running formal classes until once I was retired. Yeah. And so what, what are the classes that you offer now? So we're doing, you know, firearm training as far as pistol carbine. Uh, we do civilian, law enforcement, and military. Yeah. And then we're kind of all over the country. So one unique thing on that is, yes, we do open enrollment, but people can also reach out yeah. via warhog.com and say, hey, man, want yeah. to set something up or go from there. Is there a distinction in terms of law enforcement military that, that you're not going to teach civilian like do you throttle it back or or all here's the thing marksmanship's marksmanship right what's you're still learning a fundamental skill yeah. the thing is how much time effort you willing to put into it typically if you figure the max is two days that i'm going to have with the civilian mm-hmm. so if you think back to your training what are you really getting in two days yeah. where i hey if a department or agency brings me in you know a week Two weeks, yeah, you're going to get more and build that. Yeah, but there's no. It's not. I mean, you're not doing tactics really anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. No, okay. no. That, that, anything and again, your your TTP stuff is even with your your LE guys. You got to you know, it's it's a careful uh, a careful road you got to travel. Yeah. Uh, all right. So you spent some time in Afghanistan uh, with what's going on right now. I do want to dive into that uh, and get your opinion on uh, mm-hmm. everything really. The politics, the way it's handled. You know. Uh, you name it. What uh, What is your take on what's going on right now? Here's the thing. For me, you know, it's embarrassing, right? And I've had a bunch of people reach out. Hey, man, you okay? You this? I, I am because it's not. What's transpiring, I got nothing to do with. I, I did not control that. Um, again, I am of the era of still remember, you know, I don't want to say I'm the Vietnam generation, but we still live during that time when there was Vietnam vets. I, I remember seeing the pictures of the uh, the Chinooks 
in Saigon in 75 and then subsequently then pushing it off, you know, the side of the aircraft carriers. So now I'm watching, you know, Chinooks going to our embassy in Kabul. And now I'm watching enemy with our guns, you know, C-17s chalk packed with, I didn't know you can stick 800 people in them, but, you know, just absolutely amazing. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, how did all this transpire? How, how we knew, <laughs> we've been saying, we're leaving forever and a day. Yeah. And this is the way we leave. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's embarrassing from, you know, that standpoint that why wasn't there a plan in place to execute that properly? How much stuff do we lose? How much stuff, you know? Yeah. Um, that's my qualm. Yeah. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. I agree. I mean, I, you know, watching it is, is uh, it's, you know, infuriating on a number of levels. Um, to me, it, similarly, like people have, have uh, reached out and asked what I think or, you know, if I'm doing okay or whatever. And, and similarly, it's like, well, one, I, I was in Iraq. I never went to Afghanistan. Not, not that it matters, you know, in the grand scheme of things, I guess, but, but it does, I think it's an important distinction to make. Like if, if, or I guess I should say when I saw the same thing happening in, happening in Iraq, like to compare the two, I feel the same about both of them, having been in one and not in the other. I don't feel more pissed off the way that it happened in Iraq than I did in Afghanistan because I wasn't there. But at any yeah. rate, you know, to me, the, the easily the most frustrating part of it is just that it didn't have to be that way. Mm-hmm. You know, is that it's pretty easy to see, even if you have no fucking tactical or, or military background, operational background whatsoever, that you could say, okay, shouldn't the, the people that have the ability to keep and maintain order, shouldn't be, shouldn't that be the last piece that you pull out? Like, yes, it should. Uh, and, and to say that, you know, we planned on this and we didn't do that way and that was, that was all the plan, like either you're that stupid or you think we're that stupid. Bo- both of them are equally unacceptable. You know, and uh, and it just—I I wish that that just just one fucking time, one politician would stand up there and, and be like, you know what? I fucked up. Mm-hmm. I fucked up huge. I made a big mistake. This is a hundred percent on me, and I'm gonna fix it. Yeah. And that's it. And not I fucked up, but the reason I fucked up is what? because the guy before me, or because my people didn't tell me the right shit, or or well, they never told me that. It's like, can't you just say, yeah, I fucked this one up? Like, was it my fault, Mike? You know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, come on, man. And I know, like, the communities that we come from, like, that is the backbone yeah. of, of, of a team, you know? And, and as a president, like, you're the fucking coach of the entire goddamn country's team, you know? And, like, of, of all positions, that one is the most important to legitimately take accountability mm-hmm. and ownership for your mistakes, and it just doesn't happen. No. To me, the irony of it is that you know, the, the, the collective entire fucking country would have so much more respect for that guy. And even people that hate you mm-hmm. will have no choice but to respect it because you can't fault a guy for saying, I fucked that up and I'm going to do better. Because yep. how, how do you critique that? It's like, yeah, you did fuck up. And you're like, yeah, I did fuck up. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's nowhere to, to have to tap dance yeah. away from that, you know. So it's like even your harshest critics can't give you shit. Mm-hmm. For saying, yeah, I fucking, I, I totally dicked that up. Yep. Like, how, how do people 
at that level not get that? Uh, that's the question of the hour, right? It's <clears throat> on so many different points. Yeah. But it's like, who are you getting your counsel from? Yeah. So part of it is sitting there going, yes, I take responsibility. But you got to ask yourself, did you even ask anybody, hey, what's the best course of action? Yeah. Or did you just sit there and go, pull the plug, let's go? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, and to me, at that level, too, you take, you know, we'll take Joe Biden because he's the guy. Mm -hmm. 40 years as a senator, right? Eight years as a vice president. Okay, mm -hmm. so you've got 48 fucking years. You've got more experience than I've been alive at the highest goddamn levels of government, and you fucked this up about as bad as you can fuck it up. Yeah. So to me, like, there isn't a, I'm going to learn from this. Like, motherfucker, no. if you don't know how to handle that now with everything you've been through, you need to just get the fuck out of the way. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, there really is no other course of action that I see. I, I am encouraged to at least see even the, the most staunchest mainstream media allies of his grilling him, you know, which, which I'm actually surprised, pleasantly surprised, but surprised that, that they're taking him to task the way that they are. Um, I, you know, just before we sat down on the way here, I was listening to a, uh, a press conference that he had where he took a couple questions, and, and one of them was, uh, you know, what is your response to the, to the international critiques? You know, I mean, the chancellor of of Germany, the fucking British prime minister. I mean, there's been a number of heavy hitter NATO allies of ours that have basically said, dude, you really fucked this up, you know? And his response was, we're not getting any of that criticism. It's it's the opposite. You know, it's just like, holy fuck. Like, I mean, it's the emperor emperor's clothes thing. You yeah. know, it, it's, I mean, it's like just such a fucking disconnect and a skewed perception of reality that there's just no hope for it, you know? Um, I just hope that, as short-sighted and short-memoried as America has become, that, that they don't forget that, you know, and, and that there's there's some accountability. That I, I'm not that hopeful I, for, though. No, I, I wish I was in the same boat. But I go back. Let's think about it. 75. 75 is when we pulled out of Saigon. Yeah. It's still within a generational window. We've forgotten that. Yeah. Well, and the, and the yeah. bitch of it is, is, you know, there's people in our government that were around for that. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, oh, yeah. so, yeah, it's, uh, it's fucking mind-numbing. Um, you know, and to me, I mean, we could, we could pick apart every kind of ground-level decision uh, or mistake that was made. I mean, fuck, we'd need to sit here for hours to, to pick apart every one of those. I mean, the biggest thing is just you, you can't say that you planned for something and have to send people back. Like, th then you didn't plan for no. it, you know. Yeah. Oh yeah, we plan for what's happening. You you couldn't have, or they would have been there already. Been there. Yep. You know, like um, the fact that Kandahar and Bagram were shut down. It, it's just like, mm -hmm. man, what the fuck? Um, I, I am curious. I mean, from your standpoint, uh, do you see any hope for uh, for the country as it relates to politics and, and kind of where we're at? What's your stance on that? As far as us or Afghanistan? Uh, I mean, I know Afghanistan's. Uh, a lost, not a lost cause, but I mean, yeah. it basically is. I mean, I don't see it recovering. I mean, here's the problem with us, right? We, we've got some serious fixing we have to do as a country. We're very much separated, divided, and there's all this friction that needs to just go away. Yeah. You know, at the end of the day, um, our politicians fail us repeatedly. Uh, with everything going on, we've got governors 
basically putting in executive orders that supersede legislation. So there's, there's everything going wrong, and then there's such a divide. Here's the bottom line. We are all Americans. That, that's our title, American. Nothing before, nothing after, American. If we use that, and uh, Teddy Roosevelt kind of brought it up, that keeps us as one. And then the same token, we got these politicians, which how you get in there, 48 years. 48 years. <laughs> Shockingly, the Army told me, hey, you got to leave. Yeah. Your time's up. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Yeah. Can we not put some things in place? Yeah. To go, hey, man, you've been here long enough. Yeah. You fucked what, it up enough time. What else you going to do? Yeah. Or, or I should say not do. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah. There's some definite things we have to do as a country, yeah. but it, it starts really at the very lowest, lowest essence. It starts that family nucleus. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, the, the country has its own set of problems that uh, you know I, I think they have to start at home because without that, I mean, that is the foundation that sets the tone for everything else. And if you grow up with no respect for anything, uh, it's going to be almost impossible to teach that later. You yeah. Know? And you see it. Uh, I am curious, I mean, from having been in Afghanistan and, and put in time and lost friends and, and what have you, do you think, um, like, I guess, let's say you're, you're President Rick starting tomorrow, what, what do you do? As far as Afghanistan goes, I mean, I don't know currently locating what state is it in. Is everything debacleized? Do we have all our people? I, I don't know. Let's do simple things, right? Men, weapon, equipment. Do we have anything? I know we don't have all of our equipment. Do we have all of our guys? I, I don't know. But I would be, I would want to sit there and go, first of all, do I have all my people? And then you got to think, all those people that helped us, you just left them there. Are you going to recover that? Probably not. Yeah. Probably not. But I, I got my, you know, my responsibility goes to my people. Yeah. You know, and there's nothing, you know, past that point, like I said, like, I don't, I just don't know the, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, it's, it's a shit show. There's no way for them to know even how many Americans are, are there, you know. And, and to me, like, that's a huge fumble in the State Department. Yep. So if you don't know how many are there, you're not going to know when they're all out. Exactly. You know, so that's problem number one is you're never going to know if you got everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, as it relates to the, the translators, the interpreters, the, you know, the, the uh, you know, contractors even that helped, you know, build shitters and fucking, you know, food service and whatever, like they're all going to be targeted. The question is, is similarly is like, how do you vet those people? How do you prove that they are who they say they were? How do you prove that that they were actually the contractor that did X, Y, and Z? Like, there's no way to prove yeah. that. They have angry mobs of people that are in a, in a panic stricken state, mm-hmm. you know, that are willing to hang onto an airplane uh, as it's taking off to try to get away from there. Like, there, there, that is an impossible scenario to sift through while that's going on to determine who is who. So now you open up the door of, of the same thing with the, the mass refugee flooding of Europe back at the height of the ISIS uh, fucking problem, where now you've got who knows who coming over here with what intentions and, and just flooding it. Yep. And I will also say this is that, you know, Biden came out two, a couple days ago and gave a COVID pre- press conference, right? Uh, which, you know, again, to me shows the disconnect, but but it also says this, is that if you still think that that is that important and that dangerous to this country, why are you letting all these people that you don't know if they've been tested, they're not wearing masks, you don't know if they've been vaccinated, 
Like if you think it's that big of a deal to not talk about Afghanistan and give a no questions press conference on this, why would you let tens of thousands of people that you have no idea what their COVID history is? Yep. Like, cause I don't give a fuck, but I know you give enough of a fuck to shut the country down. So how do you explain that? And, and how did, you know, how'd the whole China virus get here to start? Yeah. Airplane. Yeah. You know, so who knows what else, it, but uh, I'm with you. It, everything, it's so, it's just hypocritical. Yeah. You want to sit there and smash this on one side, but allow this on the other side. Yeah. Same thing it, with the border. It, you know, it's like you're letting people come come across it and, and releasing them into the public that are COVID positive, but yet you're going to shut a restaurant down for not wearing masks. It's yeah. like, who, who is fucking okay with that? Like, why, why are we as a country not doing more to, to say, fuck you? I mean, I know I do. Like, I don't, I don't. Uh, you know, like if people are like, oh, you need a mask. Well, I, I, I'll fucking go somewhere else then. Like I just, I, I don't understand the. But I'm going to say this on the mask, right? And I can't speak for Texas. I will in the state of North Carolina. State of North Carolina, it's illegal to wear a face covering in public. We have legislation on the books. And this is what I was getting at earlier. So the governor supersedes or thinks he's going to supersede legislation with executive order. It doesn't work. Yeah. But people let him go that. Yeah. Hey, governor, if you think that highly of it, Go back and change the law. Yeah. Have they changed it? Nope. Yeah. So technically, it's still illegal. Yeah. No, I know. There, there's there's a just lot kind of, of my quick soapbox. Yeah. No, I mean, there, there's a, an enormous amount of trampling of rights that people are just allowing. You know, and, and the to me, the, the worst part of all that is that is that once you allow that to happen, you're not going to get that back. You know, uh, I mean, that that's the slippery slope that turns into tyrannical dictatorships is that, you know, once politicians have power, they, they're not going to give it back up, you know. I mean, how many times have we seen that in all the places that we've been? You know, and that's the thing. It's like people don't realize that. They're like, oh, it's just like it's just this. It's not that big a deal. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Like on a principled level, it's a huge fucking deal because if, if they can do it with that, they can do it with anything. Yep. Uh, and if you think they won't, fucking look around. You know? oh, yeah. I mean, there's places all over the world that that shit happens as we speak where, you know, people are, are losing their lives and, and being just fucking railroaded, uh, you know, and can't do shit about it. But, um, I, you know, I, yeah, we could spend, uh, you know, forever and a day talking about it. Um, moving forward, what, uh, what is your uh, kind of next thing or, or, you know, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? Wow. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a rock star. <laughs> uh, no, you know, so it, it's twofold deal. Um, you know, obviously losing Duco back in July, you know, keep his memory alive. Bunch of people supporting that. Um, we've got a UK company, Explosive Design Apparel. Um, so you're familiar with the the Blackbeard? Yeah. So they're doing the Blackbeard and Friend oh, Duco, nice. Duco series. So oh, now Blackbeard cool. has a dog in a leash. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, you know, so they're doing, you know, hoodies, T-shirts, hats, patches uh, in honor of him. And what they have done is where they are a UK company. So they've got the Union Jack and the, uh, the US flag. But on the US flag, they put Duco in the center of it. Oh, that's so, awesome. So, yeah. Um, I've got uh, Teutonic Distillery. We talked about, I think I chatted with you, you know, you saw that on social. But they're doing the double barrel maple bourbon yeah. in honor of Duco. So it's yeah. got to get to see me and his mug on there. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a memorial workout that Shannon did. Uh, for Duco, you know, so there's all these things moving forward. And then we're getting ready to hopefully launch our canine product line by the end of the month. Yeah. Um, you know, things we got to go redo our renew labels to put in honor of Duco because, again, yeah. you know, you do that, we want to keep the story going. So that's yeah. that's first and foremost. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, just keep Warhawk Tactical 
up and moving and yeah. playing with the times. Uh, from from a Warhog tactical, whether it's uh, actual uh, and even the Duco line stuff, like what all products do you guys have and offer other than the courses? Uh, so the courses, then we just got like our regular swag stuff. We've got um, DVDs from Pantheon Productions, so we've actually done some professional instructional videos. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, so we got those. Can you stream those too or you have to order? You can stream them, yeah. but you have to go, don't go to warhog.com, go to panteo.com. Okay. Yeah. But you can go to warhog.com and get to Panteo. Okay. <laughs> shameless plugs. Yeah. No, I, I mean, not shameless at all. I mean, to me, that's, uh, yeah, I, mean, I, I want people to know how to how to get, get a hold of your services and all that. Uh, on the Duco line, any pro, like products, products, or is it just more swag stuff? No, so it's swag. So it's other people's swag right now. Our hard, if you want to say product line, um, we're starting because again, with the whole China virus thing, we got pushed behind. The leash will be easy to get out there. So hopefully, like I said, we'll we'll get that out by the end of the month. Um, But again, you know, it's being manufactured here in the U.S. Yeah, actually in North Carolina, but I will not manufacture overseas. Yeah, Uh, principles on some things. Oh, I know it. That's uh, that's good shit. Same here. I've got. A few products, uh, leash collar wise, that yeah. actually Ray Allen make them. Uh, you, can, you can get them right from their site too. But uh, no, it's great shit. Uh, anything else? Any alibis? Anything you want to uh, add to it before we wrap up? No, just you know, appreciate you having me on. Um, I think you know this is the thing I'll tell all the veterans out there. If you are looking to transition or you're in that transitional window, start sooner rather than later. Right. So, for example, I'd say, hey two, three-year mark, start figuring out, because a lot of guys get close and don't know what they want to do. Um, start having that plan. Don't let the military be your identity. You are your identity. Uh, and really, warhog.com is the place to go. So if you want to <laughs> find me on social, yeah. uh, you want to find out what's up, you want to find out more about Duco, uh, articles written on him, little videos and stuff, and telling his whole story of the osteosacoma and everything we went through, yeah. that's the one-stop shop. And we continue to... Uh, build as we go. So don't think there, don't go there today, look at Duco stuff, and cause trust me, maybe by next week or the week after, there'll be something yeah. new. Or, yeah. yeah. And he, he does have his own Instagram too, but you oh. can get all that via. Yeah. We'll, we'll put uh, links and tabs and shit yeah. and uh, everything in the description. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was osteosarcoma. That osteosarcoma, yeah. Right uh, rear leg. In the rear leg? Right rear leg. Right yeah. rear leg, yeah. I had a, uh, one of my personal dog females uh, got this, got that. Uh, this was about uh, 2015 ish. Uh, started in her left shoulder, but yeah, similarly, it was about six months and uh, just uh, heart, heartbreaking and um, hard, hard to believe how fast uh, it, yeah. it spreads. You know, like once it's there. once it once it hit the point. Um, so, like in Duco's case, <clears throat> we got his leg amputated in November. Everything was good. Um, so I thought he jacked up his left left rear leg because he had a little gimp on there. And then next, you know, take him in. Um, we took chest x-rays, the spots were back, but his blood work wasn't crazy. I took him back a week later. His blood work was out of control. Cells were all breaking down. And she's like, there's nothing, there's nothing we could have done before. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's just the gut punch where you have this dog that's an extension of you. And a lot of people don't get that. You know, this guy has saved my life. And I've got to sit there and go, sorry, buddy. You know, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, can you share, uh, is there a favorite memory of him? Golly. Um, favorite memory. Probably when I first brought him home, um, when you have 
family members that don't realize what you have for a dog. We buy mama a brand new coffee table. And I think it was her that caused it. So she kind of put her <laughs> hand up like this, like, hey, let me show you something. Or, and of course he saw that and, oh, she's got the ball. And starts to jump going over the coffee table and kind of gets the, no, and kind of stops mid, you know, and just nails go across that thing. And it's like, she's like, um, I mean, that dog would sit there and pull on a bumper string for hours. Um, you know, that the one, you know, kind of big memory you have, we did a filming with 511. You know, I've got him actually retrieving uh, a fully weighted M4, yeah. you know, rifle. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I mean, there's all kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but then just to watch that dog, you know, just chill out the house and just live the good retired life, man. Yeah. So, yeah. So many memories. I mean, it's just, it's hard to pick just one. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. yeah well, uh, as memory lives on, no, no two ways about it. I think it's, uh, it's both special and, and really neat to see uh, the dedication that you have uh, and continue to have for him and, and for dogs in general. Everything that you're doing with Warhog and, and, uh, and his Instagram page and just everything is, uh, is fucking awesome. Uh, can't thank you enough for your service. Uh, I got in your hands dirty for Uncle Sam for a long fucking time, and uh, my on behalf of myself and the country, thank you. Yeah, thank you, buddy. Yeah, um, can't thank you enough for taking the time to come here and share your your amazing story. Um, I know it's again busy and expensive and a pain in the ass to fly and, and all that, so I appreciate you doing that. It means means the world to to me and and to the viewer. So uh, thank you for for making the time. Yeah. Thank you for reaching out, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, on Instagram, uh, what's your handle on Instagram? Warhog, ta Warhog Tactical. So everything is Warhog Tactical, but just go to warhog.com. Yeah. That'll get you. You've got the big bar that gets you everything else. Okay. Yeah. Amen. All right. Um, I'd like to take a quick second uh, to shout out and thank our sponsor for today's podcast, Origin Labs and Jocko Fuel. Jocko Fuel is a great product. Uh, he's got a ton of products actually within the Jocko Fuel line. Uh, the guests and I enjoy them on the show. And outside, I take a lot of the supplements. Uh, I've got some of the Origin Lab jeans, uh, boots, geese, and uh, it's just all-around American industry. Uh, they do a fantastic job really re-revolutionizing American industry from start to finish. It's all-American-made, uh, all-American-sourced. Everything start to finish is made right there in-house, and they really do a phenomenal job creating the products and fulfilling the whole ball of wax. They've been a huge supporter of the Mic Drop podcast for a while now, and I really can't thank Jocko Fuel and Origin Labs enough for the job that they do for us. And so thank you to you guys. I'd also like to talk about uh, my brand of dog food that just came out. There's uh, food, treats, uh, a line of supplements. The supplements are hip and joint, digestive, skin and coat. Uh, the treats, there's salmon bites, beef bites, turkey bites, uh, salmon skins. And then the food, we've got a, uh, a chicken and sweet potato formula as well as a salmon and herring meal formula. All of these products I, I've come out with uh, in the last six months after years of, of trying to find uh, kind of the right blend and, and be uncompromising in the product quality of what I want uh, and was uh, fortunate enough to work with a manufacturer that made everything exactly how I wanted it, uh, tested it out and got it dialed into exactly how I want it. And now we've brought it to market and, uh, and it's available to you guys. So MikeRitlandCo.com. It's the Fueled by Team Dog line of, of food, treats, and supplements. I encourage you to either check it out or choke yourself. For you guys, the uh, the viewer, go choke yourself because you got to throw that in uh, at least once per episode. 
really and truly, I, I can't thank you guys enough for uh, for the support, episode after episode, keeping us uh, in business, so to speak, and uh, and allowing us to to bring you amazing men such as Rick to to share his story and uh, and expose you guys to to real live American heroes. So. Uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. And until next time, this is Mike Drop. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.